1: Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.
4: the monday it's a birthday bk my partner in crime welcome to ribs and bk by the way i'm jamie rivers dj dirty elbows with the great song is tanner hendrickson and the birthday boy is brandon kiley boys how we doing how
0: we doing buddy i'm i'm feeling old my back's a little creaky the knees don't hold up the same way that they once did i am washed i am old but it's good to be here with you guys today
4: now for our listeners who know that uh, you are substantially younger than me, although still complaining to be old. Uh, what's the magic number today? I'm 28 years old as oh, of today. Oh, T Bone, um, 30
0: is right on the other side. I mean, I Ugh. am I am looking into the abyss, and it's it, my my best days are officially behind me. My worst days are all ahead. I am a an engaged man. That's true. I am buying a house, hopefully, at some point in the Ooh. next. Calendar year. I got a text from my future father in law earlier today that said "Happy birthday oh, to the old get man that the lives house. in my basement," <laughs> <laughs> and, and, which basically what you said, except just different terms. Uh,
4: so yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a good one, man. At so, least. So when you get a birthday, you usually get birthday presents, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's a present that you're not sure of exactly. Well, maybe the St. Louis Cardinals have received a birthday present from the Tampa Bay Rays. In the name of Matthew Libertor.
0: Look at you, you radio doing son you of a like gun. That, hey, <laughs> Look at you. All right, can we have a bed for this, my <laughs> man? Can we get our normal intro bed? Um, thank you, Jamie. Thank you to Tanner Hendrickson as well, who is with us today. Alex Ferrario will be back with us tomorrow. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rives and VK on 101 ESPN. So, Jamie, I was listening to the Fastlane on Friday, and they asked an interesting question. If the Cardinals don't bring back Adam Wainwright this upcoming season, what does the Cardinals rotation look like? Who do you want to see in that rotation at that point? Here's what Brad Thompson had to say in in regards to that. However it shakes out, and I still want Adam Wainwright to be here, and I still am holding out hope that Waino is going to be a part of this rotation because I'd much rather have a battle for one rotation spot than two. And while we hope that he's going to be good to go, You just don't know with Miles Michaelis coming off of the injury. You don't know exactly what to expect from him. But the Cardinals have so many options and so many good options. And I know they're not all household names. You don't just look at them and say, oh, yeah, that's like the Braves of the mid-90s. No, but they got good options. That won't be the issue for the Cardinals. So the Cardinals have good options. That's not a problem. We know that the rotation is supposed to be the strength going into next year. We all love the pitching depth, and we've been told about it for years now, and we've seen it in action. The problem is not the rotation. That being said, if Waino were to go elsewhere, let's assume in this hypothetical scenario he's starting for the Braves next year. And so he's not back with the Cardinals. Jamie, what do you want to see the rotation look like?
4: Mm. Well, I think uh, we've got some injuries to deal with, right? So we got Michaelis that we're not sure of. That's we're a question. Expecting mark. him to be back, though. Okay, so we're gonna—he's in play. F- let's let's assume that he's healthy because we have heard nothing to suggest otherwise at this point. Okay, so obviously the first one is Jack Flair. Yep. Okay. Next, I would have Miles Michaelis on that list. And KK,
0: I would imagine KK, those are the three yep. that are guarantees, no questions about it, will absolutely be in the rotation going into next year, barring some sort of injury.
4: Yeah, uh, and then after that. You know, now it, gets, it they do have options. Um, I would personally like to see Alex Reyes in there. I okay. think he's ready for that. Uh, you know, I, here's the key with that. I love him out of the bullpen because it's like releasing the Kraken to come and just throw 100-plus and just blow you away. But I, I also would love to see that for, you know, four or five innings straight of just tormenting the opposition. Uh, so for me, I would I would go to Alex Reyes. And then after that, oh, I like the way Ponce pitched last year. I, I'm not going to Carlos Martinez. I'm not. I know he's the automatic in here because, well, that's what he used to do. And he used to be so dominant. Yeah, used to be. Now he's a wild card.
0: I, I think he's going to be one of them.
4: On and off the field, this guy's
0: a wild card. I think you're going to see him in the rotation next year. Take that
4: back! I know it's your birthday. Take it back!
0: You can't talk to me like that on my birthday. No, that's not true. And second of all, that's
4: only in Illinois, and we're not in Illinois.
0: I think that Carlos (laughs) Martinez is going to be in this rotation. Based on what they tried to do with him this year They gave him every opportunity Well he called his own to shot make it work. He did I'm and not going to the bullpen Why do we feel like he's not going to do the same thing going into next year It's his last year with the team most likely It'd be a real surprise if they ended up picking up his option huh. And so get the most value that you possibly can out of him We know it's unlikely that he stays healthy But if he's not going to stay healthy Whether he's starting or in the bullpen Might as well get the starts out of him while you can Throw him and see what he looks like every fifth day. And if it goes well, you keep him there. And if it doesn't go well, then you give it you put him right back to where he was in the bullpen to begin with. I think he's gonna be one of the top four going into next year. I know people don't want to hear it, but I'm pretty i I'm pretty certain he's going to be up there. From
4: the 618-6570, Eric Comfort Service Text Light. Six minutes in, and BK already ruined his birthday for us. I will say this. As much as I understand where all of that frustration
0: comes from, and it is totally warranted after what we saw from Carlos, especially this season. That's got to be frustrating as hell to watch. He's still one of the more talented options that they can put out there. And Jamie, I love Alex Reyes. I love your idea. And the, the thesis behind going with Reyes is very similar to Carlos, right? It's the upside play. You're hoping that he hit, you catch lightning in a bottle, he's able to stay healthy, and if he is, well then he might be your number two starter by the end of the season. The problem is I just don't have any faith that Reyes can stay healthy if you start him every fifth day, and I want to see how he can be as a full-time every-game reliever. I want to see what that looks like over 162, because he hasn't even been able to do that yet. Let's get to that stuff first, increase the innings up to like 65, 70 this year. And then next year, if he's able to stay healthy, that's when I think you give him a shot in the rotation.
4: I I don't disagree with what you're saying. Now, what are the ages? Reyes' age, Carlos Martinez, what are the ages on that? And the reason I ask is because at some point, if you're John Moselock, you have to start investing in the younger player. And just kind of move on from the other one. If they're both wild cards, then you got to pick one to invest in. Carlos is 29. Okay, Reyes Alex, is 26. Alex Reyes is 26. So there's a three-year difference there. If I'm John Mosellock in the Cardinals, I'm going to invest my time at this point into Alex Reyes. I think I know what Carlos Martinez is. In fact, I, I, Jamie Rivers, I know exactly what he is. He's all over the place. And yeah, he starts once every five days, but you're probably looking at one start for every five starts. That's going to be a quality start. So, so he's going to cause your bullpen more stress and your team more stress than anything. Heck, he could barely get out of the second inning most times. So we've mentioned Ray as we've
0: mentioned Carlos. Those are two of the guys. You mentioned Ponce de Leon I as Ponce. well. I thought he did pretty good. I think Ponce is going to be a bullpen guy. I, th- I think at his core, He is somebody who can consistently get you three really strong innings as a starter. And then it starts to wane down a little bit by the fourth and his pitch count just gets so high, you rarely get to that fifth or sixth inning from him. And so in the future, I just think he's going to be a two-inning bullpen guy. And that's fine. You can have real value in having a starter that is actually a bullpen reliever for you. That gives you two solid innings consistently. Gomber, if you're going with one of the guys that you saw this year as a starter, is the one that I would go with. I like Gomber, too. He is more consistent. He gets deeper into games. He's able to pitch to contact a little bit better than Ponce is. not he a ground ball guy? I, Gomber? Pretty I think, much. I think Gomber's the guy that I would go with out of those two. And then the other He's upside plays... He's a lefty, plays, too, really? The other upside plays that you've got are Woodford, Thompson, and Libertor. And Thompson and Libertor are the two lefties that you would want to see in your rotation. I think it might be a little early... But by the end of the season, Jamie, those are the two that we should be looking at. I was reading a story from Mark Saxon over the weekend. And Mark Saxon was talking about Matthew Libertor and some of the other prospects as well. But the real headliner here is Libertor. And he quoted one of the Cardinals front office members. He said, quote, by all accounts, Libertor looks fantastic in summer camp with one Cardinal staffer calling him the best pitching prospect the Cardinals have had in at least 15 years. Now, let's think about that for Woo, a 2nd Just got chills. Woo. We don't have to go back that far. We just talked about Alex Reyes. We don't have to go back that far to think about Alex Reyes as legitimately a top five prospect in all of baseball. He was in the Cardinal system when that was the case. And now we are hearing from somebody within the Cardinals organization telling Mark Saxon, this guy is a better pitching prospect than Alex Reyes was. I wonder if who that, that is guy the is. The oh, it's not the
4: bad boy, though, right? Imagine Ooh, if it was a oh, bad boy. God,
0: I'd- I would imagine it's somebody big sacks. He's got to have
4: more pull than that. If
0: that is true, Jamie, (laughs) if that is true, I don't even know if it matters who you start with in the rotation. I mean, it does obviously for the first few months of the season, but the goal should be by the end of the season. Whoever that guy is, is replaced by Matthew Liberatore. The goal should be that going into September, Libertor is one of your five starters. He's one of the guys that going into the following year, 2022, the year that we're all talking about, where next year's the reset, and then 2022 is when you start to win again. 2022, you should be going into the season with Flaherty, Hudson, and Libertor at the top of your rotation. That I, should be the goal.
2: I feel like that's too soon of a timeline for Libertor. He hasn't even pitched past high A yet. I mean, it's a good point. We're still looking at a really young prospect. He was
0: supposed
4: to be double A this year. So Maybe he's back away a year, well. though. Really, his development is kind of taking a we kick. Just don't in the, know. you know what? We don't know. It's possible that he got. At I would least be careful, though, similar. with a young pitcher. Like, you get that guy coming in, and it, let's say he gets rocked. Like, look at what happened to Dylan Carlson. Now, he's a position player, and the bat was cold. But can you imagine if you're a pitcher? And you're giving up dingers and doubles and triples. How do we explain
0: Oviedo this year then? Because he hadn't pitched above high A going into this season. And he wasn't perfect by any stretch, but he was pretty good. We liked what we saw from Oviedo, right? Yeah. And so going into next year, you will even be further along in the learning curve for Libertor than you were for Oviedo this year. So if there is a minor league season and he gets to start at double A and then gets at least a taste of triple A these pitching prospects don't stay at AAA very long if you're a real prospect you typically go get a cup of coffee and then you're up to the big leagues right thereafter because the difference in terms of the hitting isn't, isn't as big as tri- you would expect in triple there are a
2: lot of uh, hitter friendly parks too and right. that's why a lot of teams don't like to put their pitching prospects at AAA. that's why we see a lot go from double straight to the majors
0: so if you had to guess jamie today If you had your your pick of the litter and you got to decide... Does this make me feel like we should
4: bring back Wayno? Like, does this make me start to feel like we're really missing... Start to. What? I think we've been on that path. No, we have, but like, I think last week, by the end of last week, I had wrapped my brain around the fact that I think Yachty's the one that the Cardinals should target to bring back and to keep, if they have to split up the duo. I'm looking at this now, and I still think Yachty should be coming back, but... Wayno's going to be missed because now we're sitting here and we're literally throwing darts at the board hoping that you know one of them will work
0: if i had to go with my starting five right now i think it would be flaherty kk michaelis carlos and gomber and so if you bring back wayno to your point jamie i think you would replace carlos with wayno and now you've got flaherty kk michaelis gomber and wayno in your rotation I feel much better about that one. I I feel like there's more certainty with that rotation as opposed to having Carlos in the rotation.
4: I don't like Carlos anywhere near... In fact, I don't even like him in the bullpen. I might just pay him to stay home next year. I also think that...
0: There are fair questions about how Wayno would hold up over 162. There are fair questions about Michaelis, as you brought up at the very beginning. What's his health going to look like going into next year? And you always just have the wear and tear of pitching over the course of a season. You're going to have guys that go on the IL, and you're going to have to bring guys up, and you will have some of the relievers that end up being in the rotation. All of this is going to get mixed around over the course of the season. But Wayno just adds one more... More known commodity to that rotation than what you have otherwise. I think going into 2022, I feel pretty good about their depth and the ability to be able to call guys up and have them ready by then. I by think 2022, next year, you're absolutely. a little light. I think absolutely. you're a little light going into next season.
2: I, I think another picture to kind of keep an eye on, too, is, look, KK was great this year, but he only had seven starts. And now teams have film on them. So I'm not going to sit here and say KK is going to be as good as he was this year. There's going to be a setback on KK, too. I think they're going to have to look at adding another starter in the offseason.
0: I've point. talked about that before. And I think there's a guy out there that we can get into a little later that I would suggest for the Cardinals that would make a whole lot of sense to be able to add to this rotation. With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESP. And we're going to talk with Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports coming up at 1215. We've got Jared Diamond, MLB insider. He had a story about the upcoming CBA negotiations for baseball. We'll get into all of that with him coming up at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, Jamie Rivers told me earlier today, BK. I know everybody's excited about Kyler Murray running for 100 yards. He's going to stink five years from now. He'll tell you why coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK
1: podcast on 101 ESPN.
0: Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, Shamie. I got a text last night from Jamie Rivers after the Cardinals lost a disappointing game against the Dolphins. And we'll I talk called, about the Dolphins a little later that on. Game
4: last week. Remember that? I was like, you I did. didn't feel like the Dolphins. Yeah. I the
0: the Cardinals are the team this year that I can't put my finger on. Can't trust them. I don't know what to make of them. And so are the Dolphins for what it's worth. I don't know what to make of them either. Yeah, they're good. I think both are solid. I don't think either are great. And so you see games like this and you end up with Kyler Murray throwing for 285, rushing for 100, having four total touchdowns. And I was like, okay, Kyler Murray certainly wasn't the reason why they lost that game. He played pretty well overall. And then I get a text from Jamie Rivers at night (laughs) saying, hey, BK, I want to talk about Kyler Murray tomorrow. Okay. What's going on? What do you got on him? Pretty good game. You think he's going to be in the MVP conversation after a loss? Like, what do you think this is? And Jamie just says, no, he's going to stink five years from now. Yep.
4: Jamie, explain yourself. Okay. I watch this guy now for the last three games closely. And every time I watch him, I'm less impressed. And here's why. Okay. One, he's a smaller quarterback. Mm -hmm. We know that, right? So standing in the pocket and unloading downfield, it's challenging for him. It's going to be a challenge for the entirety of his career. Because guess what? I bet he's not going to hit a growth spurt. Okay? So second fall on that. Every time to avoid that, he has to roll out. Roll out one way or the other. Great when you're 23, 24. L- let's see him at 28, 29 when the legs start to slow down. And because he's such a small body, he's going to get abused. He's going to have that wear and tear. And anytime he gets in trouble at all, his legs save him right now. He runs, and you watch him. There's plays that fall apart, and he runs with no distinct play in mind. He's just playing schoolyard football out there, which is fine when you're this age and you have that ability. But once Father Time and the the wear and tear of the NFL start to get this guy, and it forces him to be more of a pocket quarterback, and he can't scramble like that, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly because he's not that kind of quarterback. In fact, like I watch Joe Burrow right now and Justin Herbert. I would take either one of those guys over Kyler Murray right now. The reason being, I can start my franchise with them because even if their legs slow down in the next handful of years, they're big guys and they pass so well in the pocket that I'm going to be okay with that. Kyler Murray, you watch. His trajectory is rising right now. In the next five years, that's going to start come crashing down. It's similar questions to what I had about Lamar Jackson last year. While everybody
0: was getting all hyped up on the Lamar mania, and it was fair to do so, he was amazing last year, and I'm not taking anything away from what Lamar accomplished last season. We are seeing, though, this year, and we saw it again yesterday, some of the limitations of what Lamar Jackson does. That doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. He's not. He's a really good quarterback. But there's limitations to that, to playing the way that he does. I think Kyler is better than Lamar in terms of his throwing ability. I actually also think he's a little bit better of a runner than Lamar is. I think he's quicker than Lamar is. I think he scrambles better. I think he protects himself a little
4: bit better yeah, than Lamar does. Which is a negative because he everything he does when he defaults, when he checks one, checks two downfield and they're not there, he takes off. What I mean by that is he slides better. Lamar d- sometimes well, takes big a baseball player,
0: right? Absolutely. And so he's really good at sliding and that sounds like a small thing But it is not because you see guys like Carson Wentz take these massive hits where they're just like plowing through the line. I almost never see Kyler get hit like that. It's kind of like Russell Wilson, who does the same thing. He always protects himself. And so while he's a smaller quarterback, he's able to do that. Jamie, the place where I would disagree with you is I look to a guy that you probably watched in the early 90s, Steve Young. Mm -hmm. I think that's what Kyler projects to being.
4: Oh, no, I don't. No chance. Steve Young could rip that ball downfield. Kyler Murray. T- Kyler can too. He man. can rip it, but I just every time it just worries me. I'm telling you, he is a. He's basically for me a running back that they've allowed to take snaps. I do think
0: he needs to improve as a thrower. I, I think that he, there are definitely places, especially with his prog- progressions, where he'll see one guy, he'll see the second guy. He doesn't ever get to that third guy. By that time, his eyes are back down, and he's looking to run. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that does get him into some trouble, and there will be games this year where opponents, especially if he goes up against a defensive coordinator like Brian Flores or Bill Belichick, who watch that and they say, got the exact game plan to go against this guy and know how we're going to be able to beat him. And so we're going to see teams take advantage of mm-hmm. that. I also just think he's unbelievably talented. And so if we did uh, the game that we played last year where you could have any young quarterback not named Mahomes for the next decade. I think he might be at the top of my list, actually, just because of how skilled he is, both as a runner and as a passer.
2: I'm with Jamie. I'm scared of how much he runs the ball. We I mean, RG3 was the same way, you know, a guy that couldn't throw in the pocket, ran down the field, one knee injury he wasn't the same career over basically he's the backup to Lamar Lamar to me he's on the same trajectory Kyler can throw better than those two but just quarterbacks that run scare me and looking at last or yesterday's game Brian Flores did the exact same thing that they did to the Rams the week prior zero blitz you're gonna have to think quickly sure you can run but we're gonna make sure you pay they didn't get as many hits on Murray as they probably would have liked But we saw Murray didn't get as many throws a lot of times watching. He had to quickly scramble out, like Jamie was saying, because of the zero blitz. The
0: thing is, though, like if they had a better defensive game, we wouldn't be talking about any of this.
2: No, I don't even care if he's winning, though.
4: I don't care if he's winning. I'm telling you, my my thought on this, my opinion is that four or five years from now. Yeah, that's going to it's not going to look the same.
0: It It probably won't. My hope would be at that point, or my belief is, at that point, he's going to be a better thrower. And so it's kind of like the sliding scale that we talk about with the Cardinals, where if the defense gets worse, the hitting has to get that Mm -hmm. much better. With Kyler, if the running does take a step back, and it will, just by... We've seen this over history. Father time eventually catches up with you. You're not as fast as you were. Um, I'm seeing that right now. Um, Over time, as his running goes down, his passing is going to have to get that much better. Same thing for Lamar. And I think it will. I have have a lot more faith in Kyler taking that step as a passer compared to what Lamar is going to take as a passer. When I hear I
4: think it will, then I look right back at Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and go, I know it will. And I know that right now they can run out of trouble. They can run to that first down. Yet, if they, if Father Time gets the best of them, I know they can throw it. I They're already there, in so, my opinion. So,
0: a lot of people would put Kyler Murray into this conversation. I'm assuming that, Jamie, you would not. But based on what we saw yesterday, I think where there's a little bit of a shakeup in the MVP conversation. Russell Wilson did not have a great day. Oh, boy, he struggled. Seven turnovers in his last two games mm-hmm. now, which was kind of something that was propping up his MVP conversation before these last two games. As of today, Jamie, who do you think is the leader in the clubhouse for the MVP? And who would you have as your like top three as of today? If we're talking about the MVP,
4: Uh, my MVP right now is Patrick Mahomes. That's where I'm headed with it. And I know that he really wasn't even in the discussion what a week or two ago. Mm -hmm. He's got to be there right now. So my my favorite is patrick mahomes i think aaron Rodgers is there too he's got to be in the discussion and uh as crazy as this might sound i think ben roethlisberger has to start getting some love interesting
0: he right now in vegas if you're curious on the odds russell wilson is basically even money you bet a hundred dollars you win a hundred dollars by betting on russell wilson patrick mahomes is next at two to one aaron Rodgers is next at five to one And then you've got Kyler Murray and Josh Allen at 12 to 1. And then your guy, Ben Roethlisberger, is at 25, tied with Tom Brady and Drew Brees right now. So that's kind of the upper echelon right now. T Bone, what would you go with for your top three right now to win MVP?
2: I still think Mahomes is the MVP right now. I agree, Rodgers is in there. I think Dalvin Cook has moved his way into third into the MVP conversation. The last two weeks he's been lights out, knocking Wilson out of the top three, who struggled the last two really? weeks. Really, you would have you would have Dalvin Cook right now above Russell Wilson. Yeah, Wilson has not looked good the last two weeks. Ooh. But here's what's T-bone. here's here's Ooh. here's here's where. I struggle with myself, you know. I believe Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in the NFL, but his statistics are going to hurt him this year. This is the first year he's had to play without a defense, and that's really killing him. In 2018... He didn't have the weapons as much. He didn't have an offensive line, and he got the Seahawks to the playoffs. And we all thought in 2018, I look back at some of the predictions, everybody's like, oh, the Seahawks aren't making the playoffs. Wilson got that team to the playoffs. That's why I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL, and he does more with less, unlike Patrick Mahomes, who has all the weapons.
0: He has really good weapons around him. But Russell Wilson right now is on pace for 5,000 yards and 56 touchdowns. It's so just, bad. It's hard for me to believe that those numbers aren't even going to get him into the top three. I'm just
4: worried. The last two weeks have me worried. Sure. And if that's becoming a bit of a pattern right now, you know, obviously it's two games. You don't it's not everything to have put everything in the basket for two games. But if next game kind of looks the same, I'm thinking this is trending in direction.
0: I would go Mahomes one, Russ two, Rogers three right now. Your guy, Tom Brady, had a really big opportunity last night. A really big opportunity to be able to step into that, at the minimum, third place. He was great, too.
4: He was awful. Oh, my God.
0: Absolutely awful. So let's talk about that for a moment here. Last night, we watched the Saints just destroy... The Buccaneers. We mentioned DVOA a couple of weeks ago, Jamie. You asked me, what is DVOA? What'd you call me? So basically, it is a metric that goes back and looks into every play of every game and it power rates a team based on what happened on that play over the course of the game, the season, the week, whatever, right? The Saints last night, according to that metric, had the best game of any team this century. So in the last 20 (laughs) years, nobody played a more dominant individual game than the Saints did last night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that adjusts for the opponent. So they obviously went up against a really good opponent in the Bucs and beat the hell out of them. Yeah, they did. Jamie, last night, did we learn more about the Saints or the Bucs, in your opinion?
4: Um, Yeah, I would say we learned more about the Saints. I think the Bucs just, they laid an egg. Uh, for whatever reason, the game plan that they had, didn't work. Whether it was the defense they were going to throw at Drew Brees or the lack of respect maybe that they had for Drew Brees in that offense, it looked like they got caught off guard because that defense is much better than what they played last night. And the flip side of that, um, you know, Tom Brady was bad. Like three interceptions for Tom. I think he's had a couple of games with, with three or four even at one point this year when that used to be a season for Tom Brady. And So I I still think we learn more about the Saints than the Bucs. I think the Bucs are going to be fine. I still think the Bucs are going to win the division, but I do see the Saints being problematic in that conference. I
2: think the Saints, too, and two reasons. One, this was the first time we saw Breeze with all his weapons. Uh, You had Thomas back. Sanders was there. You had Kamara in the backfield. And two, that defense looked really good. Brady was never comfortable in the pocket last night, and that's hard to believe because usually Brady is a quick – couple step drop and get it off to a yeah and last night he was under pressure constantly
0: if I told you going into the game that Alvin Kamara would have 50 yards from scrimmage you would have told me oh my god the Saints are going to get absolutely destroyed if that's all Alvin Kamara does in this game they have no chance if I then told you that Kamara and Michael Thomas would combine for 100 yards from scrimmage you would have doubled down and said what happened What happened to the Saints offense? The wheels fell off. The Saints dominated this game in a way I didn't think that they were capable of doing, honestly. Drew Brees was awesome. He was throwing to everybody. Everybody. It wasn't just Thomas. It wasn't just Kamara in that one. It was Adam Troutman getting involved. It was Deontay Harris getting involved with a big play. They had everybody going in this one. And, Jamie, I think the Bucs officially have a Saints problem. Week one, 34-23. Saints beat them pretty handedly. Last night, 38-3. to three. Saints beat them pretty handily. They got something. I think we are seeing that the Saints, not the Buccaneers, might actually be the team to beat in that conference right now if you're looking at the uh, Seahawks after yesterday and saying that defense is a bigger mm-hmm. problem than we, than we originally thought.
4: Yeah, I do. And also, let's not forget here, the Bucks were like at eight yards rushing yesterday. That yeah. doesn't help your quarterback. That doesn't help him at all.
0: Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service sex line from the six three six. Hmm, maybe BK's horrible take that Drew Brees is done and not very good can be <laughs> let go as of now. <laughs> eh, not willing to go there just yet. <laughs> he still can't throw over ten yards down the field. He finished yesterday with two hundred and twenty yards passing, but he looked really good. He was accurate. He was perfect ball placement all night. It it was a really, really impressive performance against what I think is a really good defense with the Buccaneers. So he certainly at least gets another week of being in uh, in the good graces of everybody. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you had to make your protection list today for who the Blues will protect in next offseason's expansion draft, would it include this forward? We'll tell you who that is coming up next on 101
1: ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
0: Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Ferrari will be back with us tomorrow. So who would you protect for the Blues next year in the upcoming expansion draft? The St. Louis Post Dispatch put together their best guest on who the Blues would protect. And the only real surprises were Jordan Cairo was included on that list. Vince Dunn was included on that list. Guys like Sanford, Sunquist, Justin Falk were not included on their list jamie tanner i wanted to ask you based on where we are today based on the list that we saw and again very few surprises other than maybe kairu and dunn being on it sanford sunny not being on it justin falk as of right uh, today also not being on it was there anything on this list that actually legitimately surprised you and who do you think this year could change things for? Because we know it's not going to change for someone like Braden Shin. He's going to be protected no matter what. Uh, Pareco will be protected no matter what. Tori Krug will almost certainly be protected no matter what. Who are the guys that this year is is the most significant for when it comes to the expansion draft, Jamie?
4: Well, I think I think there's one individual in particular, two actually, uh, but one I'll, I'll hit on right now, and that's Justin Falk. And, but at the same time, I almost feel like if he performs really well, it works against him. And and let me explain what I'm saying here. Because if he performs really well, then he will be exposed again in in the expansion draft and probably picked up. Because teams will say, wow, that's a good player. The contract's a little heavy. Not sure. And if he doesn't perform up to standard, well, he'll probably be left unprotected again again. And it's a different uh, different scenario for him. You don't
0: think there's any way that he could play this year into the protection list, um, where the Blues view him not as an asset that they would like to lose, but rather as an asset that they would like to keep?
4: Yeah, you know what? Yeah, there is, okay? Because the Blues have an interesting situation to where they're not going to have to protect certain players. Like, they won't have to protect, uh, protect Perunovic. Um, I don't believe they have to protect Mikola don't believe so. I have to double-check my homework on that one. Bortuzzo is going to be coming off the books, and so will Gunnarsson. So those two more guys. Scandella, he'll be left unprotected just simply because he's not in the top three defensemen. Um, So you make a good point that if he plays well and does what he has done in the past with the Carolina Hurricanes and comes in and eats up minutes and does a really good job, then, yeah, I could see it being Pareko, Krug, and Falk as the three protected players. Uh, but where does that leave Vince Dunn, right? And, and I think that Vince Dunn has a really important year coming up here. One, he hasn't signed yet with the Blues, which is curious to me because you What's don't have... What's the ha-
0: point of waiting at you, this point? You yeah. don't
4: have any options anymore. You just don't. Like, he has no arbitration. He has no leverage. They've offered him a qualifying offer. And for him, if it was me, I'd sign that thing immediately and get right back to town and start training and getting ready because... There's a lot of young horses behind him looking to take his ice time. And now you have a guy in Tori Krug that's literally the best version of you, Vince Dunn. And so, therefore, like I would definitely be at it trying to prove to the Blues that I'm a regular player. Uh, so it's interesting to me to where he's going to fall in all this stuff, too. And his contract will be up. It's going to be interesting.
0: I feel like this year could be a, and we'll see what happens on the contract side of things, but it could be a deciding point between, do we move forward with Justin Falk or do we move forward with Vince Dunn? Because they kind of, it's different roles because one's left-handed, the other one plays mostly whenever he's in his right spot uh, on the right side of things. So it's different for sure, but they kind of fill similar, similar roles very, in terms very of offensive so. defensemen. They're going to make their hay on the power play unit. That's Smaller where they bring guys, So if you're going to move forward, you're probably going to have one of those two guys in the long-term view. So if you're the Blues, if Justin Falk this year becomes the player that you traded for him to be, well, then we no longer have a whole lot of use moving forward for Vince Dunn. We've got Perunovic, who you hope can fill a similar role as well on a cheaper contract. And your left-hand side is starting to get a little bit crowded. If you try to bring him back. So the best case scenario to me is Justin Falk plays really well this year. He proves to be the player that army wanted him to be. That contract no longer looks like an albatross. You're going to look at the athletic next year when they rake their top 10 worst contracts in the league. He will not be a part of it. And then you move forward with him being one of your top three defensemen and he's on your protected list. I think that's best case scenario. How realistic is that? I don't know, but that would that would be if I'm Doug Armstrong, for instance, what I'm rooting for this year. Now, Tanner, you brought up another guy that this is a really big season for in terms of the expansion draft. Whenever we were talking about this earlier today, who's the forward that you think could make or break his year, make or break his expansion list um, protection based on what he does this year?
2: Are we going by the big name that I'm thinking of, yeah. or the small? I think Vladdy. I, I to me, if Vladdy isn't on the ice and can't play a lot and doesn't show that he's back to form. Look, two shoulder surgeries concern me. I, I don't know about you guys, but it concerns me of how he's going to return, if he can return back to his star form. If he does not, I would seriously consider leaving him off the protection list, adding someone like a Barbashev or a Sunquist, and then you look at the chance of, okay, do you really think Seattle will go take his contract? If they do, okay, then you save 75 million dollars over the next three seasons which could go towards a preco deal a shen or a thomas bozak or schwartz deal so that's why i'd leave him off and then you can also have protection for another younger player and if they don't take him then it's fine and you could still have him but i just don't know if seattle would take the risk at taking tarasenko uh
4: here's the thing okay it's very interesting what you brought up, and of course, to kind of add some information to it, it would be where Vladdy is kind of in and out of the lineup. He's still not a hundred percent, or maybe he doesn't look quite like the original version of Vladdy. But you have to still remember that it's Vladdy Tarasenko, okay, and he's able to produce in a bad year probably twenty-five goals, and on a good year close to forty. At this point in his career, it's going to be very difficult for the St. Louis Blues. If they're a cap team, okay, it's going to be difficult for them to claim, well, we're just, we're shedding money. We're shedding salary on this one. And then to your point after that, protecting like Barbashev and those guys, Army will take a beating. He will take a beating if he exposes Vlady Tarasenko and keeps Barbashev or Bozak or Sunquist. No matter how good they are, those guys aren't the centerpieces of any other team's nucleus, right? But... It is an interesting concept based on the fact that it is $7.5 million and you are going to need some money for Colton Pareko. The other guys, you know, Robert Thomas, too, those are probably the two guys out of everybody that you mentioned that you're going to need that money for. Or
0: if they decide to bring him back, Schwartz as well.
4: Schwartz, and if they decide that they need a goalie. You never know. Like Jordan Bennington is in the last year of his deal, and Ville Husso's is unproven, so you may need to find a goalie, too. Hopefully they don't have to. Hopefully that's taken care of. Um, I I think it's an interesting topic. I think it's an end of the bar, grab a couple of beers and shoot the breeze about it. However, I don't think it's actually going to be a possibility.
2: But here's something interesting, too, that I look at. Without Vladdy, you were best in the West last year, and I'm not including the round robin because I'm looking at the regular season and the standings there. You had the third best power play in the NHL without Vladdy. Now, could that have been a fluke? Maybe, but then we saw when Sundquist was out of the lineup, the Blues did not play as well. So I look at it as... Okay, Vladdy's a great player. Will he return to form? We don't know. And like you said, even if he's not back to 100 percent, he's still a 25 goal scorer. That's great. But again, I look at Thomas and we've heard uh, Armstrong say he could be a superstar.
4: Yeah, but he's not the same player that unfortunately. And if you lose Vladimir Tarasenko, you don't have anything, nothing in your cupboards to replace him. Nothing. Nobody. Nobody can just, the flick of a wrist, score 20, 25 goals. You don't have it. That's actually the biggest problem. And last year, yeah, they ended up doing okay without him. But that's a one-off. You know, I I don't think over the course of time, I don't think it's in the Blues' advantage to not have Vladimir You Tarasenko. also
0: don't have Alex Petrangelo to be able to cover for some of that goal production as well. And that's maybe you're getting some of that from Tori Kruger. Or at least that's the hope. But it just eventually you do need that guy. And maybe it's not until the postseason, right? And this is something that we talk about a lot with the Cardinals in the playoffs. Maybe you can get through the regular season with this run prevention style, and maybe it gets you to the playoffs. But eventually, when you're in the top of the ninth down a run and you've got your four-hole hitter coming up, are they afraid of him or not? And you need that guy to be able to produce a run. With a guy on second, you got two outs. Who's the guy that's coming to the plate that you can count on to be able to drive them in? The Dodgers had that guy. The Rays had that guy. The Braves had that guy. The Padres had that guy. You were afraid when you got to the center of their order. The Cardinals didn't. The Blues, if you get into a big game and you need a goal and you've got the power play coming out, who's the guy that you really are like, that guy's going to get this here. You, you you maybe have a couple. You need one more with Vlad. You don't want to lose that. And especially the biggest thing here to me, you don't want to lose that for nothing. If you're going to get rid of Vladdy, it is not in the expansion draft. You trade him. I don't. Th- I wouldn't even go down that path, but if you're going to do something with Vladdy where he is not on the roster for whatever reason, it cannot be for no return in a clear salary dump. That is be, not the route.
4: you got to remember something, too, that he was tied for the most goals scored when they won the Stanley Cup. So he's been able to respond in big moments. And that was a knock against a lot of Russian players for a long time, is will they step up in big moments well, Alex Ovechkin came through for the Capitals. Uh, uh, Malkin in Pittsburgh has been that guy for the Penguins. And Vladimir Tarasenko, he was a massive difference maker in those playoffs. And I'll go back to Game 7. The play he made to hustle down to get the puck to get it to Braden Shen, for him to score that goal, like, that's a big moment. He's
0: 30 yeah. goals in 63 career playoff games. Yeah. That dude produces when the lights get the I'm brightest. I'm not giving Prior, that a, Prior to shoulder surgeries,
2: and again, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying this is exactly what, what if I do he comes but back I think, even better though. Well, then he's not he's gonna be protected.
4: But I'm just saying, what if he comes back because they they didn't for whatever reason the the last shoulder surgery didn't take wasn't great, and so what if this one here they go in there and they make him like back to normal pretty much. Now to your point, yeah. Well, then you protect him, but what if he's still on the recovery path and you only have a small sample size of games left? For me, if I'm going to make that mistake with this player, I'm going to make the mistake of hanging on to him too long or trying to get something in return.
0: He's Jamie Rivers. That's Tanner and I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's get to some
1: questions and answers coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now six, five, seven, eight, zero. It's ribs and BKs questions and answers on one Oh one ESPN.
5: Six five seven eight zero
0: is the air comfort service text line from the six, three, six guys. I heard that the Cardinals are one of five teams that are linked to the Indians with Francisco Lindor. What do you make of the report? A little bit of a disclaimer. Came from a guy on Twitter that goes by the name Incarcerated Bob So it doesn't mean he
4: doesn't have good takes
0: He sometimes do, Does actually have sources Other times he does not Have good sources <laughs> And so I wouldn't exactly take This to the bank however Jamie if we did receive Some sort of reliable Report that this was indeed the case What would your reaction be? <laughs> My let, reaction, let's go down that path and make the assumption that it is true, even though I don't think it is.
4: All right. My reaction is that the Cardinals will finish close, but they won't get it. Just like everybody else. We're there, man. We gave them the best offer we've ever given. We were right there, man. We got second, though. We got third. Would you trade Paul DeYoung for him straight up? Paul DeYoung? What? Yes. What kind of a question is well, that? I'm starting to wonder if these teams like, can you would, Be stop? You need to take two. You no. need, you do. Take. Two. Would you trade Paul DeYoung for Francisco Lindor?
0: No, it's a, it's a question that That's I think like deserves to That's like saying, would you trade explored.
4: Jamie Rivers for f- Alex Petrangelo? Well, no doubt. <laughs> well, what
0: if you had eight years of control and Petro had one? But <laughs> <laughs> still, it's insane how these GMs, in my opinion, get in my opinion, view these contracts. <laughs> but some general managers, I guarantee you would view Paul DeYoung as the more valuable asset than Francisco Lindor, given the contract situation, because Paul DeYoung does have long-term control under a reasonable salary, and he's 60, 65% of the player. There are some general managers that would view that as being more valuable than a one-year contract for Francisco Lindor in the current times. I am not of that mind.
4: Yeah, but you'd have to assume that if you made that trade, The intentions behind it all are that you're resigning that player. Totally agree.
0: Paul DeYoung, though, has one, two, three, four, five years left on his current contract for four years six or excuse me four million six million nine million twelve and fifteen million dollars he has really good club control moving forward
4: are you really backing up what you said right now? no i <laughs> i'm like wait is he really defending
0: it? remember what i did with Derek gold where i said do you have an explanation for why oh. the cardinals view this this is what i'm doing i'm putting on my mo tie right now oh my. this is what the cardinals would use as their explanation behind it they view this as being <laughs> more valuable there was a report from ken rosenthal um, that the Rockies might be looking for pro talent, not not any sort of prospects yeah. in return for Nolan Arenado. So I wonder if the same will be true for the Indians. That's why I bring this up.
4: Well, we could trade him Carp then for Arenado. That'd be great. Same as Young for Lindor.
2: <laughs> well, looking at the Cardinals, I think the reason that they might view De Young's contract more valuable than maybe the one you're left on Lindor, I mean, I don't think this is right at all, but yeah. the reason that they would be doing it is because they say, look, even with Lindor, we may not be a World Series contender because of what the Dodgers are. You look at the Dodgers, sure. they probably say, yeah, Lindor's contract's more valuable than I don't know, if they had De Young, say DeYoung's contract. That that's the way I think the Cardinals look at it.
0: If the Indians called the Cardinals today and said, We will do Francisco Lindor for Paul DeYoung, I bet you the Cardinals would say no.
4: Oh my god, don't say that. I I, don't. I almost BK, in, in don't. Fact, it's Monday people it is don't a stone need a reason cold to be angry, okay?
0: That the Cardinals would reject that trade. Well,
4: based on what the contract no you're, way you're no telling way. no me. way they uh, listen for a second if john Mozeliak had the opportunity to make that deal with the temperature as hot as it is here in st louis not outside but regarding the cardinals that they need this guy in their lineup they need that elite bat that elite player the guy they're gonna wrap the franchise uh-huh. around and you're telling me he'd say yeah i'll take a pass
2: no this is what he'd say well
0: that's cute one of them Probably. makes $4 million next season. The other makes projected in terms of his salary from arbitration, $21 million. But then you're telling me they're adding each $17 other. million to the payroll for this upcoming year, along well, with heck, maybe, you're paying
4: carp 18. So that's going to disappear. So that difference that you're talking about disappears after one season.
0: Yeah. Cause you can this take one that money. Season
4: is what they're all telling us. They have biblical losses but for how many Lindor jerseys you think you're going to sell in St. Louis. More than De Young, more than De Young, absolutely. So we close the gap a little bit there too. How many seats are we selling with Lindor next well, year? Well, th- that obviously depends, right? Hopefully, we're selling some seats, and I guarantee you that more people would be putting their butts in those seats to watch Lindor.
0: Six five seven eight
4: zero zero Comfort Oh six, no, nine. we're not doing it.
0: It's an interesting question. Do you believe that the Cardinals would trade if if the Indians made an offer of Francisco Lindor straight up for Paul DeYoung do you think now would you do this do you think that the cardinals would say yes or no to that trade 65780 is the air comfort service tax line you can also get your answers in on the rhino shield mic drop feature on the 101 espn app do you think the cardinals the cardinals would accept a trade of lindor for DeYoung straight up the rhino shield mic drop features on the 101 espn app we'll get to that on the other side plus Is average good enough for the Cardinals offense going into next year? There are some really intriguing numbers from Derek Gould that I want to get to that suggest, yes, just being average offensively would be enough. We'll get to all of that in your mic drops coming up next on 101
1: ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
0: That's that's Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. it's ribs and BK on 101 ESPN so we just asked this question and I want to get your answers on this 65780 is the air comfort service text line if the Indians called the Cardinals today and they offered Francisco Lindor who has one year 20-ish million dollars remaining on his deal and they said in return we want Paul DeYoung Your shortstop, he's on a four-year deal. He has $46 million remaining on this deal. Four years of club control remaining for Francisco Lindor, who has one year of club control remaining. Not would you accept that deal. I think we would all accept that deal. Do you believe the Cardinals would accept that offer? I put this up on Twitter at BK Sports Talk. You can vote in the poll there. I'd be curious for your answers here. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. And the Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. For anybody that just got in their car and is just starting to listen, Jamie, Tanner, where are you at on this? Do you believe that the Cardinals would accept this type of an offer?
4: Yeah, I do. I really do. I think they have to. At this point right now, like I mentioned before going into the break, this baseball town, Cardinal Nation, is just dying to have that elite player, that bat that's consistent in the lineup. And yes, Paul DeYoung is a very good player. I like him as a player. He's solid. Uh, Defensively, he's been above average when it comes to offense. Last couple of years, he's tailed off at the end of both seasons. A little bit of reason for concern. However, you get a chance to get a guy like Lindor. Like, come on. You got to make it happen, especially if it's like a one for one like that. And Cleveland's just trying to get rid of some of that money. You got a lot of money coming off the books one year from now. I think you can absorb it to step up a little bit, take on more salary for this season coming, knowing that you're going to have some breathing room after that. So, yeah, you got to take this trade.
2: I agree. I think the Cardinals would take it. And I. I go back to what we talked about last last week, I think on Friday. We talked about, you know, a 10-year contract. Would the Cardinals be willing to invest in 10-year contracts? And I brought up, you know, you look back at some of the recent 10-year contracts that were signed. Cano, Pujols, Jeter, A-Rod, Joey Votto. Uh, if they sign those contracts before their age 27 season, they're worth it. The whole contract, they are worth it. That's why I think the Cardinals would do a trade for Lindor like that.
0: So, if you could, Tanner, we've got some audio from Bob Nightingale that should be in my folder from today. Bob Nightingale was on with us on Friday, and oh, I buddy. asked him a question. Do you believe that the Cardinals are philosophically opposed to doing 10 year deals? Like, are, are they, if we go into this next upcoming offseason, do you think that at that point they would get into the market for 10 year contracts? And I wanted to know is this something that is a Lindor problem? Is it a specific question? Player to player question, or is this just philosophical? They're not going to do stuff like this. Here's what Bob Nightingale told us on Friday.
3: You know, I haven't just because they've been pretty public how they want to lower payroll, and uh, you know, you can't lower payroll by bringing a guy like Lindor who's going to be making twenty million dollars uh, and plus. And where do you, you know, where do you saw him tip their hand but not bringing Colton Wong back at, at twelve million? So it's hard to foresee that. I don't think the Cardinals will be a real long shot.
0: So that's not the one that I was looking for. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Bob Nightingale basically said, yeah, it's basically he said they're they're philosophically opposed to this. They, They don't do these long term contracts. Mo hasn't done them. He will not do them. He doesn't believe that this is something that the Cardinals will look into. That's kind of where I'm at. I am at the point of why would I believe that the Cardinals are going to give out this kind of a contract? And so, Jamie, you're absolutely right. If you go into a move like this and you believe that the Cardinals would re-sign Lindor immediately, then you're not looking at this as Lindor for one year versus DeYoung for four years. You're looking at it as Lindor for 10 years versus DeYoung for four. And so in that situation, okay, you come out ahead even, as opposed to behind with the years of club control. I'm not looking at it that way because I'm, again, putting my boat mo bow tie on here. I don't think they would give him the 10-year contract. I think going into next season. After listening to what everybody has told us, the, the national experts, the national analysts, I am no longer all that excited about next year's offseason either. Because I, I have a real fear, a real uncertainty about whether or not this organization actually believes in giving those big long-term deals out. I have a real question about are they going to commit seven, eight, nine, ten years in big time money, twenty to thirty million dollars, whether it be to Seeger? or Correa, or Story, or Lindor, I don't know if it matters the player. I just have a hard time believing they're going to bring somebody in from the outside internally and to give them that big-time contract. And so to answer my own question, I don't think they would accept this offer. As much as it pains me to say that, (laughs) I really think they would say thanks, but no thanks. We believe in Paul DeYoung. We have four years of cheap club control. We have uncertainty with um the the payroll for next season we have uncertainty with what the fans in the stands are going to be next year we think we can win our division by standing pat because the rest of the division is also taking a step back we're gonna keep our options open next offseason although again me personally i don't think that they will do much and we're gonna have to pass on this for now we'll we'll maybe revisit the Lindor conversation next year
4: if that happens and it gets out media wise right like you better hope that At that point, the Cardinals keep that really quiet and just say, ah, you know what? We're going to say no for now. We're going to move on here. But if something always leaks out, I think Cardinal Nation would go berserk. I think they would. I think they would lose their minds. And that's just because everybody's talked about Arenado, Lindor, heck, Springer this year. But those two in particular are game changers. I, I don't think that people would be happy.
0: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in this. We've got one Rhino Shield mic drop. This comes from Alec.
6: Absolutely. You trade young for Lindor. I don't care if Lindor only has one year because you know if the Cardinals are trading for a superstar type player that only has a one-year deal left that they're going to do everything they can to extend them. I think that's what we saw with Holiday and Goldschmidt. Furthermore, you have more Salary coming off the books next year with Fowler being gone, Miller being gone. Carpenter more than likely is going to be gone. We're going to have room even with a down year with less fans. So do it. Pull the trigger.
0: I hope everybody knows that's what I believe. I hope everybody oh, no, understands. BK, I heard you
4: say different, right, Tanner?
2: He and said That's s- what I heard. Yeah, sh-
0: I heard him say no, he wouldn't do it. That is my opinion as well. My opinion is they should do whatever it takes to get Francisco Lindor, <laughs> whether, whether it be Paul DeYoung or if you need to add in Matthew Libertor, like you figure out a way to get this guy. This is the outlier. This is the guy that you go out there and you pay, you trade for, you do whatever you can get. It's unbelievable to me that he's even available. This is the guy the Indians should be building around. They should, should be paying him and line. figuring it out, right? Yeah. I just don't think the Cardinals view it that way. And that's my concern. He brings up Paul Goldschmidt. It's a fair question. Um, but Paul Goldschmidt was only a five year extension. The Cardinals view these things a little differently.
4: They don't want to have that long term. Yeah, but what's Gold, what's Goldie's age? Thirty-one, See? I think, whenever he signed it. See, that's I'm with the difference. You. I'm and with we've you. talked about this though. Heck, last week we talked about it, and you mentioned it. You had a great take, which I marked that down actually. Um that you said the Cardinals aren't afraid to sign the five-year deal and then keep chipping away, and they'll eventually get to 10 years on a guy, but it's, like, on their terms. I
0: agree, but when I talked to Derek Gould about this, he said the Cardinals don't view it as five years versus 10 years, prime versus back end. They view it as an extra $150 million that they're giving a player. That's how they view it. They view it as five years and $150 million as the difference between the Goldschmidt contract and what they would have to give to a Francisco Lindor.
4: So we're okay though, going 18 to 25 million on guys that are average. Correct. And this, this is, that doesn't work for me. How many times have we talked about
0: this, Jamie? This is my philosophical disagreement with the way that they handle those types of deals. I would not. And I know I'm not a GM. I would never be a GM. I wouldn't be good at the job. But one thing that I, from playing Madden in my life, I'm not spending on the middle class player. I'm going to be able to, if I'm the Cardinals, develop that guy. I'm better than anybody at developing a B player, a B-level player. Well, pitching and defense. I need the superstar. How do I get that? This is the way that you go about doing it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, I don't like it, but BK is right on this one. The Cardinals wouldn't go seven more than seven years on anyone. Another one... <laughs> I have some people that are very upset at me. (laughs) BK, it's a Monday morning. Why are you already giving us these types of ridiculous takes? (laughs) Hey, man, I get it. I I wish that they would make a deal like this. It's incarcerated
4: Bob's fault.
0: (laughs) I wish they would go to this extent to be able to bring in a player like this. We can get back into this conversation, Jamie, coming up here in just a little bit. But coming up next, we got to talk to our guy, Frank Schwab. He's an NFL analyst for Yahoo Sports. Who does he think? would be the MVP if the season ended today. We'll talk about that with Frank Schwab. And I want to get his opinion on Kyler Murray as well. We'll do all of that with Frank Schwab coming up next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
0: and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. it's ribs and bk on 101 espn excited to go out to the brown and Crippen celebrity line happy to be joined by our guy frank schwab he's a yahoo sports nfl writer and you can follow him on twitter at yahoo schwab frank we always appreciate the time man how was your football weekend
3: good good it was you know i think good games i guess and fun stuff and it's hard to believe we're pretty much halfway into the season now
0: it is so let's start with the big one yesterday that i think surprised me and a lot of people out there and that was the bills i know that the final score looks reasonably close but that game wasn't all that close the bills just outclassed the seahawks for basically four quarters what did you make of it and did we learn more yesterday about the bills or the seahawks in that game in your opinion
3: you know, honestly, uh, probably more about the Seahawks. I look, the Bills play great. I think that if, you know, maybe they're just going to be kind of a streaky team. To be honest, they hadn't played well in a few weeks. They they were winning games, uh, that uh, but they're beating you know the Jets, the two and five Patriots barely. Uh, so I didn't think I wasn't really impressed with the Bills. Then they come out, they play really well. But I think that this just shows uh, Seattle's got a problem. I, I they can't cover anybody. Their pass defense is just horrible. And, I mean. Pete Carroll comes out after the game and says, oh, we we didn't expect them to pass as much as they did. We were shocked they passed as much as they did. You have the worst pass defense of football. What do you expect? (laughs) I mean, teams are just going to line up and run at your strength. I I think every team from now on to play Seattle is going to basically do the same thing. It's going to be, you know, two-thirds pass, maybe heavier, just because, hey, stop this, and then, then we'll go on something else. But I think Seahawks... Look, if they don't play better on defense, especially pass defense, this is a team that's not going to make a deep playoff.
4: Frank, I'm going to stick in the AFC East here for a second, and i I, I got to talk about the Dolphins here, okay, because they've won four games in a row with two different quarterbacks. Looks like is going to be the guy moving forward, at least for now. And then the next four games that they have, Chargers, Broncos, Jets, Bengals, are four very winnable games for them. Is it time to start talking about them as a playoff team?
3: I think so. I I think Brian Flores is a, a very very good coach. Finally, somebody from the Belichick tree really is going to hit. It seems, and he's got he, he's got them playing really well. And the whole Tua Fitz thing, I, I never got the, the the kind of outrage over it. Fitz was fine. He was having a good year. I know he's a fun guy. I know he's really you know, one of these dudes is easy to root for. And I have nothing against him, but. Basically, he's a 37-year-old journeyman who was benched for the fifth pick of the draft, a guy who everybody thought was going to be the first pick of the draft for a long time. And this was perfectly reasonable to me, and Tua, we've seen, we saw yesterday, he brings a lot to that offense, stuff that necessarily puts better, couldn't. Yeah, you know, they're just different-style quarterbacks, really. I thought Tua had a really fine day. I think that they're playing hard around him. I think he's really, from all I can tell, he liked in that locker room. These guys want to play hard. They want to rally around him. They want to support him. And I think that you saw yesterday kind of the upside of the Dolphins. They they gave up you know 31 points for good Cardinals offense, which was surprising to me. But they they still won on the road against a, a really good Cardinals team. Like you said, this schedule coming up is very favorable. The Bills haven't run away yet from them. I mean, they're still within shouting distance, at least. The, the, the only problem I have with the Dolphins right now is. Where are these playoff stuff going to come from? Because I could have the same conversation about the Browns and their upcoming schedule, the Raiders and their upcoming schedule, the the Titans, the Colts are still very good. The AFC North has has got a lot of good teams. The AFC playoff race is going to be ridiculous this year. And but but I do, yeah, I think the Dolphins are absolutely in the equation there as long as they kind of keep winning the games they should win. And part of the problem, not problem, but part of the you know the equation there to Tua's got to kind of when he, you know, he's going to have his ups and downs. But when he does have his downs, the Dolphins are going to have to play well around him to make sure they don't drop any of these games they should win.
4: Yeah, sticking with the Arizona Cardinals, uh, based on the Dolphins beating them yesterday, uh, my partner and I, BK here, are kind of confused as to what the Cardinals really are as a football team. And then I also had a take this morning that I feel like Kyler Murray is an exceptional talent right now. But in like four to five years when running the ball every time is not going to be an option for him, I feel like he might struggle. I feel like once the legs slow down and once teams maybe figure him out a little bit, I just think that right now he's relying solely upon his athletic ability where I don't know if that's
3: sustainable. Am I crazy? No, I agree with you. There's been plenty of times I've watched Cardinals this year and said, this offense is—it's hard to defend, but it's also not sustainable. It's not like you can go into a game, an NFL game, with a plan of, well, Kyler's just going to run around and make some things happen. He can do it. It's—it's—it's <laughs> it's, it's hard to stop because he's so elusive in the open field. And my goodness, he's—he's he's athletic and fun. But that's not—that's not an offensive plan. That's just you know things that kind of work when it breaks down. And what's your counterpunch when it doesn't? And there's been games this year where. Their passing offense just hasn't looked that good. Now he threw the ball pretty well yesterday, a couple of deep passes, and I think he's going to evolve as a quarterback. He's going to get better, but I do think he does need to get better. I don't think it's just one of those things where you know he's he's a finished product. He's he's evolving, and as he is, the Cardinals are. I don't think the Cardinals are. A lot of Cardinals fans got upset at me. I don't think I had them in the top 10 of my power rankings last week. i them like 11 or something like that. Cardinals fans got really bad, but I don't think they're a top 10 team right now. I think they're good. I I think they're in an an NFC that you're going to see some kind of mediocre teams getting in that wild card. I think they're perfectly in the mix for that. But this doesn't strike me as a team that could just go out and beat. You know, really good teams, week after week after week. They lost to the Lions at home. They've lost to the Dolphins at home. They're they're good, but they're not yet where they need to be. Not great on defense, kind of inconsistent and unpredictable on offense, but they're fun, and, and they're, they're growing, and I think they will continue to grow, but they do need to kill still so continue to grow.
0: We're talking to Frank Schwab. You can find his work over on Yahoo Sports where he's an NFL writer. All right, Frank, we've, we've already talked a little bit about Tua. You just talked about Kyler. We were not able to see Joe Burrow this week, but we've seen some fantastic things already so far this year from Justin Herbert. I wanted to ask you about some of these young quarterbacks because – For me, Patrick Mahomes is the clear-cut number one with a bullet. I think most people would agree with this. If you had to start a team today, you're taking that guy with the number one pick. Outside of Mahomes, if I told you, Frank Schwab, you are getting the number two overall pick in a full league fantasy draft right now, and you get the quarterback for the next decade, who would you take if you had your pick of any of the other young quarterbacks other than Mahomes for the next decade?
3: That's a good question. I the night when you say the next decade that kind of gives me pause because if you would have said the next four or five years i'd still take lamar i really would i think i know he's had his issues this year but i still think that he what we saw last year was no fluke was no mirage he is still a great great football mm-hmm. player he's different than everybody else i mean he you gotta kind of have an offensive caters to what he can can and can't do but i think that you know we've seen him We've seen him play MVP football, (laughs) and that's that's one thing that separates him from a Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow, who look like they could be in that mix some someday, but they're not there yet. So I'd still go Lamar. And I'm telling you, I, I the young talent at quarterback is just exceptional. We got more coming in next year, obviously. But Lawrence leads that list. You know, people when anybody complains about quarterback play in the NFL is just complaining to complain because quarterback play in the NFL has never been deeper. It's never been better. It's we got these young guys coming in and just playing out of their minds right away. I mean, we we all remember when it used to be that the rookies needed a couple of years, right? Like you needed a. Sit the whole rookie year, your second year, you come back. You're going to get a little bit better, but you're going to start. Now these guys, right away as rookies, are playing well, and I think that's going to continue because you know all the training these guys do, the information they have at their fingertips. Quarterbacking's never been in a better spot, and uh, there are so many of it. You can your question, you can answer that many, many different ways, right. and it, it'd be very reasonable.
0: And they're, they've never been more fun either. I mean, there's guys that can win with their legs. Oh, yeah. There's guys that can win with their arms. There's uh, basically all of them could do it either way. On on any given day I mean Frank we're looking at if you're not good within your first two years to your point teams are ready to move on from you I mean there's real talk about Sam Darnold Daniel Jones is it time to move on from those guys already 10 years ago that never would have been the case and now it's like you better be good right away and I think it's kind of fair in some ways because we've seen it elsewhere or teams are ready to move on from you uh, the last question that I did want to ask you about is last night's game because we saw the Knights, or the Saints rather just beat the hell out of the Buccaneers. It, kind of similar. To what I asked you earlier, did we learn more about the Saints or the Bucks in that one? In your opinion?
3: Oh, I think the Saints. I, think that, you know, I had been questioning them to be honest. I I've watched them and they're barely beating the. Bears and, and you know, they need overtime to come back and beat the Chargers at home. And I'm sitting there saying, this Saints team might have lost a little something. They might not be as good as they were. And then for them to play like the way they did last night was just a message to everybody that no, no, they haven't gone anywhere. This is that was impressive. You just don't see NFL teams beat other NFL teams like that ever. Like it just I, I, I know that we you know, we've seen blowouts, but for a team they, that wasn't just a blowout. That was it almost looked like a pro team against a college team. It was that I mean and the Buccaneers are a very, very good football team, but you know, they're three and out on their first four drives. The Saints, I think, scored seven of their first eight possessions, and the one they didn't was a fumble at two-yard line. <laughs> what a game for them. I think Buccaneers are going to be fine. They're a good team. They're going to bounce back. But I think the Saints sent a message. Don't forget about us. We're talking about Super Bowl contenders. We're still right there with everybody. He's Frank
0: Schwab. Find his work over on Yahoo Sports where he does excellent work. He's an NFL writer for them. You can also give him a follow on Twitter at Yahoo Schwab, Yahoo S-C-H-W-A-B. Frank, we always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and the family. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Yep, absolutely. You got it. That is Frank Schwab joining us here on 101 ESPN. He is right about the AFC playoff race, Jamie. I mean, you look around, the Bills, the Dolphins, the Steelers, Ravens, Browns, Titans, Colts, Chiefs, Raiders. They all legitimately (laughs) think as of today they've got a really good shot of making the playoffs. I just listed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams. If they don't do the expanded playoffs, at least two of the teams that I just mentioned are going to be left on the outside looking in. That's wild, man, because I think all of those teams have real claims to being at least an interesting out in the first round of the playoffs this year.
4: Yeah, I agree. It's a it's a mess, but in a good way. We're gonna have a lot of competitive football coming down the stretch, and a lot of meaningful games, which is so much more fun to watch as fan. If Jamie, you could
0: today, like
4: I'm putting Uh-oh. you in charge of football.
0: You're the football czar. Well, I for couldn't the day. screw
4: it up any more than they already have. So, if okay. I
0: said you can decide which of these teams, you have to have two of them. Okay. Two of them do not make the playoffs because you're just, you, you don't want to see them. You, you don't feel like we need to see them in the postseason. Of those teams in the AFC that I just mentioned that have realistic aspirations to make the postseason, who would be the two that you'd be like, you know what? Those two have to stay home because I'm just not interested in seeing them in the playoffs this year.
4: Well, yeah, I'm not really interested in the Raiders. I just. I like them, and you know they're fine, but I, whether they're in or out, it makes no difference to me. And the Colts is the other one. The Colts, I feel like, are the most boring team in the out. NFL right now. Like the, the Dolphins, there's a story there. Whether it's Tua, whether it's Fitzmagic, Flores, there's a story there. The Browns, there's a story there every day because of Baker Mayfield and some of the stuff that they've had going on. I just feel like the Raiders and the Colts don't advance the story for me. See, the Raiders, I feel like, do. Really? I, I think the the NFL is
0: going to need somebody in the AFC to prevent this from becoming a Patriot situation. They need somebody in the AFC West to step up to be that team that on any given year, any given Sunday can be the team that <laughs> maybe takes down the Chiefs a in the AFC West. Then. They beat the Chiefs already, though. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think be, it's going to happen this year. Let's be real here. But if the Raiders uh, do make the postseason, they very well may be the 7th seed. Maybe they play the Chiefs in that first round. You can bill it up if you're the NFL. Maybe this is the team that could compete with the Chiefs in the West. You need somebody to be able to claim that. If I were to go with two that I would knock out, I think it would be the Colts for me as one team. And then I'd probably go with the Browns as the other just because I don't see them as making any sort of noise in the postseason. You just hate Cleveland. I don't hate Cleveland. I hate Cleveland. I've never been to Cleveland. That's what I heard. I don't know what there is to hate about You've never Cleveland. been to Cleveland? I've never been to Cleveland. It's
4: actually not bad. Downtown's fun. Cleveland's awesome.
0: <laughs> Cleveland rocks. With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Is average, average good enough for the Cardinals offense? We'll get into that coming up next. We'll also get back into this Francisco Lindor conversation. It's all coming up on
1: 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
0: I'm Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rives and BK on 101 ESPN. So I was reading a piece from Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch yesterday and it got me to thinking. He basically wrote about, is it enough for the Cardinals to be average offensively? Would that be enough for this team to become, even if you don't believe a World Series contender, a realistic contender in the National League again? And he made some pretty convincing points, Jamie. He said the average team last year scored 4.6 runs per game. The Rays, who represented the American League in the World Series, scored 4.8. The Cardinals were down to 4.1. The average team last year hit 77 homers. The Rays hit 80. The Cardinals hit 50 last year. The average team slugged 418 and had a 740 OPS. The Rays, right there, right at average, 425 and 753 OPS. The Cardinals were 40 points below league average with a slugging percentage and 50 points below league average in their team OPS. So I ask you, Jamie Rivers, I ask you, Tanner Hendrickson, in your opinion, having known now those numbers of what it would take for the Cardinals to get to average, what it took for the Rays to make it to the World Series last year, do you believe that simply being average offensively would be enough for this current team to, to be viewed as a realistic contender going into next year.
4: So this year coming up is going to be a really weird season, okay? So let me approach this two different ways. One, I think that with the division being maybe not as competitive as it has been in the past, I think that does still leave the Cardinals with an opportunity to make the postseason. Now, in a regular setting, no, it's not good enough. It's not. And now and we discussed this during one of the breaks, uh, now that you are no longer going to have Colton Wong, at least it looks that way. I know that there's been some talk of reopening that door uh, with Colton Wong, but as of right now, you don't have Colton Wong, you don't have Yadier Molini, you don't have Adam Wainwright. So what's your what's your brand, right? Like, what's your identity? Well, it's obviously not slugging, because when you're that low, below the average, and your OPS is below the average like that, then you defer to, well, pitching and run prevention, okay, well, we had a hard time putting together a rotation earlier Yep, for one thing, and then now we have a hard time figuring out you know, who's going to replace Wong. I know it's Tommy Edmond, but then who do you put at third base? Is Matt Carpenter back to being your everyday third baseman? Like now all of a sudden run prevention isn't your identity. So what are you? You're stuck in the gray zone to where you can't identify whether you're a hitting team or a defensive team, and for me, for me, that just spells bad news ahead.
2: I agree. You know, if you don't have your identity, how are you going to go out there and win? And, you know, BK, you said the Rays, you know, the World Series. They are at that average mark. They didn't win the World Series. To me, the Cardinals have got to get offense. Pitching and run prevention will not win you a World Series. I don't care. Looking in the past five years, three of the last four World Series winners led the league in slugging. Last five World Series winners have been top three in runs per game. Out of the last five years, 11 of the 20 teams to make the NLCS have had runs per game. So I have been top five in runs per game. They have to get offense.
0: That's really interesting. I didn't know those numbers. I first didn't either. All. Well played, T-Bone. I, I think the Cardinals are on a sliding scale right now that plays into that a little bit. And it, it has to do with this, Jamie. The Cardinals, over the last two years, were fifth in the league in starting pitching ERA. They were also 12th in the league in fielding independent pitching. What that means, Jamie, is basically if you take out the fielders, what would be the expected, going back to these numbers, numbers for your pitching staff. Basically, how does your your defense impact your pitching? Uh No defense impacted the pitching more than the Cardinals over the last two seasons. They had the biggest difference between what their fielding independent pitching, ERA would have been, and their actual ERA. They are elite defensively. They are not good. Fair. Over the last two years, they have been elite defensively. They are the, the numbers that you just talked about with the offensive numbers and how these teams are elite offensively. The Cardinals are that, but on the defensive side of things, if they don't bring back Yadier Molina and Colton Wong, you are no longer elite defensively. You might merely be good defensively. And if that is the case, if you go from elites to good well, then you need to make that big of a jump in the other direction <laughs> on offense. You need to go from being bad, which they were, to being at least above average. Maybe you don't have to get all the way to a good offense. How do you offense. get there, BK? How do
4: you get there? You if you don't want to spend money, how do you get there? I
0: think the answer is you don't. I wish that that wasn't the case, but I think the Cardinals need to be my elite head off the wall. Hang on. Just I'm
4: gonna go smash my head off the wall. Well,
0: may, you know what? Maybe this is it. Maybe instead what they do is they improve the pitching. Maybe they improve I'm the pitching. So if you if you look back at what they were and you're looking at the difference between ERA and fielding independent, how do you improve there? Right. Well, you improve with strikeouts because then you take out the defenders. You you don't even have to worry about the defense if you're striking guys out all the time. The Cardinals don't have a whole lot of good strikeout pitchers. Is kind of the the secret of their rotation. Their their pitching has been so effective. Because of that elite defense. Now, Jack Flaherty strikes out opponents 30% of the time. Austin Gomber, one of the reasons why I would be in favor of seeing him in the rotation, he's right up there as well. 27% strikeout rate. Boeno, 21%. Michaelis and Hudson, 19%. KK and Carlos, 16%. They just don't strike a lot of batters out. And so if you're going to go into next season with a decrease in the overall run prevention because of the defense... Well, now you need to get guys that are striking people out so the ball is in play less often. And that's where maybe you go out there and the pitching market, a guy like Corey Kluber, who has not been good the last two years, was hurt, and then last year was not good. Maybe you try to get a little bit of, a resurrection with his career he was a guy that previously was one of the best pitchers in all of baseball one year three million dollars four million dollars I don't know what the market's going to be but I can't imagine it's all that great for him maybe you try to go find a pitcher like that where you increase the strikeouts coming for your from your pitching so that way you make up for a little bit of your defense because to answer your question specifically Jamie you don't go from bad to good offensively this offseason without paying money it's just not it's not possible for this team
4: I think that what you're proposing is really risky it really is because you're going to take 3 4 million whatever it is it's not a lot but it's money you could have spent elsewhere on another player N- not in its entirety but it's money towards that contract if it is a 18 to 20 million dollar contract instead of spending 3 or 4 in this direction use it wisely on a player that actually makes a difference and crossing our fingers i feel like that's just like spitting in the wind right now it's just it seems like a great idea but at the end it isn't unless
0: the option is you either get a guy like Corey Kluber, and I'm just proposing his name because I think he's somebody that we've seen what the upside is. It's Cy Young award winner. Like he's, he's that good when he's on. The downside is he might not start for you a single game next year. Oh. Um, so th- there's, a, there's a wide range of possibilities in what he could be for you. So I'm just throwing his name out there as kind of a placeholder, but you go out and get that comeback option as a pitcher, or the other option might be you don't do anything. You know, it might not be you go out there and get that 15, 16 million dollar player that you're talking about, Jamie. It might be just nothing. So if I'm if I'm looking at one maybe pitcher versus nothing on this other hand, I'm probably going to go with that pitcher, you know? Yeah.
4: And look, this brings me back to my original opinion at the beginning of last week. I don't think the Cardinals, the Cardinals are going to do anything at all. I don't think they're going to do anything at all. They're going to try and promote from within. They're going to hope that players develop. They're going to consider this a development year and looking towards getting those big contracts or those other contracts off the books. The only way that changes, for me, the only way it changes is if Lindor is in play. And then I feel like it's an obligation of the Cardinals to get him... And deal with that for a year and then have all that other money come off the backside going into 2022. That's the only move I would make. Otherwise, I agree. They're not going to do a thing. I wish they would do it.
0: I wish they would do it. I just have no faith that they would do it.
2: I just, I just don't think building on pitching and run prevention would win you a World Series in baseball anymore. Because look at the playoffs. I mean, we kept saying, you know, they have a chance to shut down the podges. You can't keep bats contained in the playoffs mm. anymore. And we've seen pitchers, good pitchers, struggle in the playoffs. Look at, Look at Kershaw. Hershel. Kershaw's the guy that you go, oh, he should be dominant in the playoffs. He has not been, and that stretches all the way back to the early 2010s when he's been doing it
0: when the pitching is at its peak which is what happens in the playoffs hitting becomes even more important the the runs become at even more of a premium for any team much less for the cardinals and when you don't have the fearsome hitter, hitters in the middle of your lineup it becomes even more apparent because you're only seeing the best pitchers the guys that are the underbelly of the bullpen you don't see them in the postseason the way that you do on the fifth game in a row for the Cincinnati Reds on a Thursday afternoon matinee game right you're not seeing those guys in the postseason, so it becomes even more at a premium to have those great hitters in the middle of your lineup.
2: And you know, looking back on those last five World Series champions, that give you those slugging and runs per game, only one World Series champion in the last five years has led the league in Team ERA, and that was the Dodgers. It's Nobody else has. Everybody else has been right around the, I didn't put it down, but I remember it was just on the outside of the top ten, near the middle of the pack, or about eight or nine no one in the top five in team ERA that's interesting
4: let's not forget too the Cardinals run prevention great pitching has got them to the postseason the last two years they're swept in the NLCS and this year didn't go well either
0: he's Jamie Rivers that's Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. we'll get
1: into the junk drawer coming up next we're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN it's time to open up the junk drawer with ribs and BK Brought to you by Randy's Jewelry. We make quality affordable. Let's go Blues.
0: With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon. Kylie, it's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Time to dive into the junk drawer. And Jamie, I have some more evidence that Thanksgiving is overrated.
4: Oh, God. Here we go. BK hates evidence. Thanksgiving. Page one. So there is a map that came out
0: over the weekend. I know maps were the big thing over the weekend. I don't I know have, why. I haven't seen any maps lately. They were the big thing, and one came out on the most popular Thanksgiving sides in every state. Okay. In Missouri. Would you like to know that rolls are the favorite Thanksgiving side for Thanksgiving Day? Rolls. Rolls. Rolls aren't even a side.
4: No. But they are really good. I mean, I've got a few rolls.
0: It's not even a side. And this is your favorite thing that goes with your turkey dinner. Your overcooked, dry,
4: nasty Thanksgiving dinner. So who cooks your turkeys for you? Uh, I'm not reviewing that Yeah, I was going to say, you literally just called them out.
0: Try. You know what it is in uh, Illinois, the favorite Thanksgiving side dish in Illinois. Any guesses over here? I know.
6: But what,
2: what would you guess, Tanner? <laughs> I would get well, it's I would guess it's my favorite because I know it's a big thing in southern Illinois where I'm from mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes. Ding,
0: ding, ding, ding yes. is the correct answer. Illinois one nothing on that one for the favorite side dish on Thanksgiving. There are other states like Kansas. Cream corn is number one. Ew.
4: White, I feel like I'm eating baby puke when I eat that. Arkansas, the number
0: one I've side done, dish. I've done, but it's not fun. I wouldn't consider this a side dish either. Is white gravy. Is white gravy a
2: side dish? I, I don't consider that's. I wouldn't consider it a side dish unless you're like drinking white gravy.
4: It is isn't some states.
0: Anyway, Thanksgiving overrated. Jamie, what do you have for us today?
4: All right, so I think I figured out. The problem for the Atlanta Falcons. Okay. Okay. And our boy, Anthony Stalter, I'm sure he's tuned in right now. I know he listens. I watched the games with him
0: yesterday. He was fully prepared for an implosion, fully prepared, ready for it.
4: Well, this might not help him. Okay. Because uh, according to, well, TMZ Sports, which is nothing but the best, uh, they have a player by the name of Keith Smith, not the one who stole your NBA idea. BK, Uh this is a different one. But Keith Smith said openly, no problem, like talking about it. I eat Chipotle like four or five times a day. Every day. And he goes, it's not they a joke. They open at 11, though. He says he gets bowls from Mexican food joint four or five times a day. And he, you, he's not a joke, not lying, not an exaggeration. It's part of his meal prep. So, with the local Chipotle, they make these for him for every day. He makes his one stop and he eats four or five of the same exact thing. Same thing every time. See, I could probably do Chipotle twice a day. So that's my question to you guys. Okay, first of all, he's two forty right now. We'll see where he's at at the end of the season uh, with this diet here. It says roughly 4,000 calories just oh, from Chipotle boy. alone per day. But here's my bigger question for you guys. What's the one fast food place that you think and I won't even say like for a month just for a month you could eat four or five times a day
0: that's tough man because you need to have the breakfast in there in some capacity but this is the same meal
4: he gets the same exact thing see i
0: it would be something similar to this like it would be somewhere where i could get the bowls so it'd be like uh crazy bowls and wraps or qdoba or chipotle it would be something in that realm i don't think i could do four or five though if i had to do two meals a day i could do one of those for mm. sure, I, I bet you I could do it for a month. Two All meals right. a
4: day, or two meals at Chipotle for a month. Two meals per day from Chipotle.
2: But I don't even—I don't think I could do that.
4: Two a day from Chipotle, yeah. Uh, Tanner, what's here? Come on, you gotta have one here. It's gotta be the same thing. Two. That's the kicker because I, it was—if like, it was just the same fast food restaurant, absolutely. I had think about, okay, I could do this, no problem. But the same thing.
2: I—I'd say maybe Jersey Mike's. Uh, oh, chicken Caesar stumps. wraps chicken Caesar wrap I could do that I love chicken I love a good wrap I could do that Jersey Mike's are like McAllister's yeah, yeah. like four or five times yours, every day you're going eat- to
4: easy for me right now easy for me I'm going racing canes chicken
5: oh. I could eat that
4: five times a day now I probably have a heart attack within the first <laughs> two or three weeks but I don't even care. You, I would take the styrofoam box that it comes in and dip it in the sauce and eat it. I'm okay with it. So, have you ever seen the
0: documentary movie, whatever you want to call it, size? Yes. The the McDonald's, McDonald's one. McDonald's one. Yeah. It's something similar to this. This is that immediately came to mind for me when you said you would go with raisin
4: canes because it's delightful. I love raisin cake. Looking at it, it's like good chicken, you know, and, and the fries are sincere. I would order the same thing. Maybe not the Kaniac combo, because I think that would get a little heavy four or five times a day, but maybe a little four piece one. Sure. I think I could do that. 65780
0: is the Air Comfort Service X line. Somebody says from the 618, none of those are fast food. Eh, what do you I, mean? I, I feel like if you've if got a have drive a through, yes. you're fast food. Chipotle Fair, maybe that's not a fast food, that's more fast casual. But like Crazy Bulls has a drive through, You could make that into a drive-thru. So that, that would be my choice I you're exclusively with drive through.
4: But it also explains something, too, to me about the Keith Smith and the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, maybe this is why they end up uh, blowing leads at the end of the game. He's These Jimmy Rivers, guys that's Tanner strapped I'm to Brandon the bowl Kiley. in the locker room. <laughs> Coming up
0: next, Jared Diamond wrote about why this offseason is going to take so long to get you know anything done he also wrote about what it could potentially present for a challenge when it comes to the cba and next offseason we're going to talk to him about all of that and what does he think happens with francisco lindor jared diamond baseball writer for the wall street journal is going to join us next on 101 espn
1: we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn
0: Jamie Rivers and Tanner and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and croupin celebrity line. Happy to be joined by our guy, Jared Diamond. He's a baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal. He's also the author of Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution, available wherever books are sold. Jared, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today?
5: I'm hanging in there. How are you guys doing?
0: Doing all right. So let's start out with the piece that you had very recently over on the Wall Street Journal. You were able to sit down with Tony Clark, the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association, to talk about the free agent market, the CBA negotiations that are coming up. What was your biggest takeaway from your conversation with Tony Clark? It's
5: going to be a long winter, uh, that's for sure. It's going to be a challenging, difficult Uh, off season as these two parties the league and the union prepare for another fight Uh, we already knew it was going to be challenging with the collective bargaining agreement expiring in now less than 13 months and now we add to the fact that they need to figure out a way to play another season in 2021 uh, amid this pandemic we already saw what happened the last time these two groups got together and tried to come to an agreement about how to do that for 2020 and they failed miserably never even came to an agreement. Uh, so it's it's really going to be fascinating to see how this plays out because there are just so many labor issues playing the sport plaguing the sport right now and none of them have easy, have easy answers.
4: Jared, to your point of we saw how that played out as we move into the upcoming season, How does baseball avoid this becoming the main topic of conversation, meaning that it's going to be a tough season revenue-wise as it is, uncertainty of fans in the stands and all these other things that will be moving parts throughout the season, and yet here we have this massive elephant in the room that is the CBA. How How does Major League Baseball and the players get through this without absolutely just obliterating their own sport?
5: Well, they have more time, that helps. Let's not forget how challenging it really was this summer when spring training shuts down and all of a sudden you're scrambling to try to restart uh, with very little information about what the pandemic was going to be like, what was going to happen. Uh, there was a lot more uncertainty. Then. Now, I think we have a pretty good handle of on where things are. Uh, things are very bad right now, but we hope that as we start heading into the spring, There's positive news about vaccines, potentially, that things start to get better. And they now have all off-season to try to figure out how to make it work. I think the other important thing is that I think by now the league has to be well aware that the players will not accept one cent less than full 100% proration. They made that point very clear during the last negotiation. uh, And yet they still spent weeks and weeks trying to get the players to accept Further salary cuts. I hope that everyone realizes now that will not happen. So instead of having a month where that's what we're talking about, let's just start with the understanding that okay, it's going to be full proration. So the question is, how many games are we going to play? That is the only question to me that's outstanding. It probably won't be 162, but it really should be more than 60. So let's start figuring out a number that works given the fact that we don't know what fans are going to be like or what markets are allowed to have fans and and how many, let's find a number of games that work and let's go. And if that number is 100 or 120, that's fine. I I don't think anyone expects a full 162 this year. Uh, I don't think that's really realistic. So let's just figure out what that number is and let's get going.
0: Jared Diamond of The Wall Street Journal joining us here on 101 ESPN. Jared, one other thing that I've been fascinated by is how public Major League Baseball, the owners, the commissioner have been even during the World Series, which was just wild to me about how much money they lost this year. I mean, they put a dollar sign on it. They said $3 billion, an average of $100 million per team is what we lost this year by simply playing baseball games. And so as you talk about, hey, what's the number of games that they can play? I just keep coming back to that statement from the commissioner talking about how much they lost this year. From your conversation with Tony Clark, do they accept that number? Do they believe that Major League Baseball actually lost in terms of like being in the red 3 billion dollars this year because that seems to be kind of the starting point in negotiations for the owners?
5: No, they don't accept that at all. And look, let's be honest, they really shouldn't. Uh, that's the number that Rob Manfred has been putting out there. I'm not at all suggesting that uh he's lying but i do think that there's certain you know income streams that are probably not being considered uh media rights certain media rights local television uh there's seems to always be money flowing into major league baseball that doesn't always make it into the accounting i I think uh, let's let's face it baseball will claim every year that they lost money and yet every year they still play baseball games so why i'm not at all questioning that it was a difficult year for baseball it undoubtedly was uh i i don't think the union believes and i'm not sure anyone should believe that it actually would be better for major league baseball to not play uh, than play no matter uh, how hard they try to argue that.
4: so jared this is the number one thing that i've been tossing around here and listening to what you're saying about, you know, believing each other and not the trust issue was the biggest problem that these two sides have. So that being said, how do the players ever find out what the true numbers really are on the other side of the aisle when there isn't a salary cap? And is it time for the players to maybe look at a salary cap? I know the the high end guys will not like it at all. But the salary cap has worked in other leagues, and it's created at least some transparency.
5: Yeah, they'll never. The answer is never and never <laughs> to both of those questions. Uh, there's there's really no scenario where the players would ever agree to a salary cap. This is their great. This is their union's great hard fought victory. It's one that, like you mentioned, no other sports union has been able to win. Uh, they have no salary cap, and look, like you said you're 100% right that there are downsides to that. And the primary one is because there is no salary cap, the relationship between the league and the union, by definition, is going to be adversarial because uh, there's a pot of money and whatever portion of it goes to the players is therefore not going to the owner and vice versa. That's why they butt heads. In other sports with a salary cap where, there's, uh, where money is based on uh, sort of overall revenues for the league everyone is incentivized to road the same direction uh in order to make money for the league but the problem is baseball players make so much just the reality is they do look at the size of some of these guaranteed contracts and the reality is uh, guys like lebron james like these top nba players they're underpaid they are they can make so much more on the open market especially when you factor in in other sports the value of one individual player so Look, I think baseball players' attitude is we'll take the fighting uh, for the reward at the end of it, which is we just make so much. Uh, I don't think there's an athlete in any other sport that doesn't have some energy of how much money baseball players are able to make and the kinds of guarantees they're able to get. Because it's something other athletes in other sports can't even dream about because of the salary caps.
0: So that's the backdrop to everything that's hopefully going to happen at some point this offseason, Jared. And it's there hasn't been a whole lot of actual talk about, you know, players going places yet other than basically this Francisco Lindor rumor. And I did want to go there with you because, as you can imagine here in St. Louis, and I would imagine in probably 29 other baseball markets right now, there's a lot of talk about what would this team look like if they were able to add Francisco Lindor How realistic is it, do you think, that a team like the Cardinals that has already started cutting costs by declining an option for Colton Wong, how realistic do you think it is that they would be interested in that type of a market? And how many teams do you think will dive in to the market for Francisco Lindor, given his potential $20 million salary next year?
5: Every team will be interested in Francisco Lindor, but the reality is no one's going to pull the trigger unless they have, I think, some reasonable assurance they have a good chance of re-signing him and uh, how many teams really fit that bill. They don't seem to be that many teams that right now are going to be swimming in that pool. It's going to be a very challenging offseason. Uh, teams are not planning on spending very much money. You mentioned the Cardinals. They've already signaled their intentions which is a lower payroll. I'm not sure how that jives with adding Francisco Lindor and then trying to sign him to a $200 million contract. So, I don't know who that team is. As we're talking about this off season and the players available, whether that's Francisco Lindor or any free agent, I really think the conversation has to begin and end with the New York Mets. It's just the reality of it. They have a new owner. He's the richest owner in the history of baseball. Uh, While every other team seems to be going into a period of retrenchment, I have a feeling the Mets are going to be extremely active for everybody, every single possible free agent. It's a great buyer's market out there. And, uh, very few teams seem to be willing to be one of the teams buying, and the Cardinals certainly appear to fit in that bill, considering it took about 30, 24 hours after the end of the World Series uh, before the GM was saying, we're going to cut payroll.
0: Do you think that's going to be more prevalent than even maybe I believe at this point? Like, do you think I think it's what December third is the next deadline for the non-tenders? How how big do you think this is going to get in terms of teams not even tendering quality players?
5: Yeah, no, it's going to be huge, no question about it. Uh, there's going to like part of the problem for the players here is that just talk from a purely supply and demand standpoint. There's going to be a lot of supply, not a lot of demand. The market is going to be flooded with, you know, pretty good sort of middle tier free agents because of all the non-tenders and declined options, and not a lot of teams seem to be willing to go out and buy. So look, it's going to be rough. We've already seen rough off seasons for the players in recent years. Uh, I think this one's going to be even rougher, and especially when you factor in there isn't that high end free agent. Available, the very top guy. There's some good players available: George Springer, DJ LeMahieu, D- D- Marcel Ozuna, Trevor Bauer. Don't get me wrong, but that top notch, that Garrett Cole, that Mookie Betts, that Manny Machado, uh, not there in this market.
0: Jared, we always appreciate the time, man. We'll be reading you over in the Wall Street Journal. Everybody should check out your book, Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution. It is available wherever books are sold. I hope the Cardinals are getting one of those books. Maybe they can take advantage of that this offseason as well. Jared, always appreciate it, man. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to talking with you again soon. You got it. Thanks. Absolutely. That is Jared Diamond joining us here on 101 ESPN. Every time that we talk to somebody, Jamie, from baseball, I just get more and more optimistic about how great this offseason and the next offseason are going to be. This is the one thing that we don't really bring up whenever we talk about next year, and maybe that's the year that the Cardinals kind of venture into the <laughs> uncharted waters. We hope. There's also the CBA negotiation next offseason, we have no idea if baseball is even going to be played in 2022. We have no clue. It might not. There might not be a season in 2022. I hope there is. I want there to be. I believe that they should. But we have no idea. And given the backdrop of everything that we've seen, it's so hard to know if there's actually going to be baseball played that upcoming year. So as much as I would love to see them go out and make a play for Francisco Lindor or Carlos Correa or Trevor Story. I don't even know if those guys will be available to be on the baseball field for the Cardinals the following season. As a result,
4: it's going to get interesting. we saw, and to Jared's point, it was the runway was much shorter for major league baseball. And the last time they tried to pull this together, I'm just hoping that they start the conversations. Now don't strategically wait for leverage on one side or the other. Like, Guys, get in the boardroom now. Get on the Zoom calls now and get this figured out because otherwise, baseball has done itself a lot of harm in the last couple of years. It really has. And any kind of a lockout or a strike or a non-willingness to play, whatever, it will do a lot of damage. You want to talk about biblical losses, <laughs> you might actually get them if you screw it up there. It's
0: 118, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler. We'll get dive into a game of In or Out coming up next on 101 ESPN
1: we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn come on man are you in or are you out it's in or out with ribs and bk on 101 espn
0: Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. That is Tanner Hendrickson. It's ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some in or out. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line to get involved with in or out. All right, Jamie, let's start with Tua Tonga Viloa. 250 yards passing yesterday, two touchdowns, added seven carries for 35 yards on the ground, had a nice little 17-yard scramble himself. Mm -hmm. Are you in or out on Tua Tungavailoa after seeing the first two starts of his NFL career, including a good one, a big win against the
4: Cardinals yesterday? I'm in. I'm in. I think that, you know, I think at first everybody was a little curious to see how he would start his NFL career based on the fact that he was drafted while he was injured right you don't see that a lot and especially at the quarterback position where he's supposed to be a mobile quarterback there's a lot of question marks surrounding him and then to add to that Fitzmagic was doing a good job and seemed like he was an adequate quarterback for the Dolphins while Tua continues to develop since he's been in there his first game was average and I think that the last game yesterday was good He's trending in the right direction and he's showing me things that, quite honestly, I'm surprised in a really good way. So I'm in.
2: I'm out. What? I'm, I'm not. It's been two games. How can. I, he was very inaccurate against the Rams and maybe that was just first start jitters. But once we start getting some film on Tua, he's just like Kyler Murray and your he point is. to me. He's going to have to be a guy that has to get out of the pocket, throw the ball. That's why I'm out on Tua. I'm not going you know, to. He could change my mind. It's only two starts, it's early, but I don't want to get in on Tua just yet. I think he's
0: clearly third among the three rookies that I've seen so far. Justin Herbert un- immediately was like, whoa. He
4: might be number one. He's amazing. He might be number
0: one. And it y- you saw it, it. You saw the flashes. His first start against the Chiefs, he was really impressive. And he found out literally as the ball was being kicked that he was going to start in that game. Well, he knew his dad, you know, <laughs> arranged to puncture a <laughs> Okay, so... <laughs> I knew immediately on him. I think everybody knew immediately on him. Okay, this is a little better than we were expecting. Joe Burrow, we saw the flashes immediately. Whoa, this is a little different than what you typically expect out of a rookie. We didn't see that out of Tua. Tua's first start was very up and down to say the least.
4: Ginger, ginger a little walking. Yeah, Wasn't he confident. gingerly.
0: Yes. His second start was good. I think some are making it out to be a little better than it was it was a good start he was he, he played well let's not act like he was going up against the 85 bears first of all so negative negative. and let's not act like he threw for 350 yards and four touchdowns did against he throw that. an interception no he did not Back. he has not thrown an interception you yet don't talk
4: about the positives do you?
0: he's been sacked a decent amount of times he has already fumbled i i like Tua. i think he's gonna be a good quarterback I do not have him in the same category right now with Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow, oh God, though, no. from what we've seen. No. I don't think he's in that category. So no. I'm in, but not to the same degree that I'm in on Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow. I'm all the way in on yep. those two guys. I'm I'm dipping my toe in the water to be in
4: on Tua Tungabai lower All right. Now. Well, you just stay on top of that fence.
0: Six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line for in or out. In or out, Jamie. You now believe that the Chargers are actually cursed. <laughs> because i've been trying to tell you for weeks now it's not that the chargers are a bad football team it's that somebody i don't know who maybe it was way back in the day somebody put some kind of a curse on them but somebody put a curse on the chargers and it has not worn off yet are you in or out on that curse at this point
4: Ah, oh, i hate the fact that you're kind of right um and you know what's amazing is they even tried to switch it up, right? Yeah. They tried to leave San Diego and go to L.A. and be like, we're going to leave that curse here. Mm-mm. That curse follows you. It follows you. And I'm starting to believe that they are cursed slightly. However, I think the guy to break the curse is justin herbert yeah just just
0: as philip rivers and Ladanian tomlinson and antonio gates were once upon a time huh
4: being negative again okay but yes i'm in that there is some kind of chargers curse next step change your name
2: i'm in the jerseys we
4: already left the city everything swap it out
2: i'd agree with that i'm in i think they are cursed but i think they are just a new head coach away from breaking the curse and that next head coach could be the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator. him oh. Hamlin Herbert? Oh man.
4: Wow.
0: I kinda like Anthony Lynn, though. I I know, I know the end-of-game situations. I know. I know everybody. All the blowing leads. You love that guy, right? I think he's a pretty decent coach. I mean, you could do a lot worse. And maybe I'm letting good be the enemy of great, and you wanna, you wanna hire B enemy to get to that greatness. I maybe that's possible, but Man, it's not Anthony Lynn's fault that the receiver had, in my opinion, pretty clearly the two feet in and it should have been a catch and they ruled it an incompletion when they should have walked off the game with a winner. Like, they, they reversed the script this time around. They were supposed to lose. They got the ball back and they threw the game-winning touchdown and they took it off the board. Like, <laughs> they literally won the football game. They were celebrating. The Raiders were walking in shame off of the field. And then the referees no at, at it. it. Come back. And they didn't stop the count. They
2: kept going with the count. And
0: the Raiders won and the Chargers lost. I don't
2: understand. Uh, yeah, but how do you explain the three 17-point-blown leads or something late in the fourth?
4: I can't. The, the,
0: that's with that's this coaching.
2: That's
4: coaching. Coaching, curse,
0: C-words. 65780 oh, is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. In or out, Jamie, one of. The Vikings, the Panthers, or the Falcons will make the playoffs in the NFC this year. In or out, the Vikings, Panthers, or the Falcons will make the playoffs this season.
4: That NFC East just sucks so bad that it gives, One of them's guaranteed. Yeah, it gives it opportunity. I'm out. I don't see any of them making the playoffs. I think that looking at the Saints, the way they're going, the Buccaneers, uh gosh. Hang on, maybe I gotta take that back. (laughs) I'm looking at this awful division. Oh my, the Rams, the Cardinals. Uh, all right, I'm in, I'm in. One of these, one of them, okay. I think they almost have to. And if they expand the playoffs, then I'm ob, then I'm 100%
2: in. I'm out. I don't think either one of those three teams can get in, it's gonna be tough. The only way I could see it is because I think the NFC West is a really good division is if those four teams beat each other up and say the Rams lose, I don't know, two of two of six, in, or sorry, win two of six in that division, that would kill them. Or if any other team like that does that in the NFC West, I think... That would be the only reason. But I'm out. I don't think either one of those three teams are good enough to be a playoff team.
4: To put the Panthers in the NFC East during in first place. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Same like thing seconds. for the Falcons. The Falcons would be, like,
0: winning the division right now. Yeah. I know they would technically be, like, a half game out from yeah, the Eagles. because of that tie. They're right there, right behind them. <laughs> so here's what I've got right now. The winner of the NFC East, unfortunately, is guaranteed a spot. Yeah. I think the Packers, Saints, Bucks, and Seahawks, those five teams— would get in today. I'm I'm pretty confident in all five of those. Who did you say? The NFC East, and then the Packers from the NFC North, the Saints and the Bucks from the South, yeah. and the Seahawks. Okay. Those yep. five teams, I'm very confident in making the playoffs. You get seven teams this year. <laughs> so then we're looking at the Rams, Cards, and Bears would be the three top contenders for those two other spots right now. Uh-huh. The Rams, Cards, and Bears. Right behind them is the Vikings, Panthers, and Falcons. I think I'm in, man. I think one of these teams, because I am out, out completely on the Bears right now. Oh, I'm out on the Bears. And then it comes down to, do you think the Vikings, Panthers, or the Falcons can overtake one of the Rams or the Cardinals to get that final spot in the NFC playoffs?
4: I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I'd have to really dive into the schedule to see it, but I just don't see that happening. I just think that... The Cardinals and the Rams are good enough to so those other So let's go through the, pan,
0: or the the Rams real quick, because I think the Cardinals are a little better than the Rams, personally. The Rams' upcoming schedule, you've got the Seahawks is their next game. And they play them well all the time. They do. Oh, but we're let, talking to Mr. Ram over here. Let's be honest. I think that's probably going to be a loss for them. They go down to Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers. I think they're going to lose that mm. game.
2: That's a win.
0: <laughs> you've got the 49ers. That's very winnable. They should win that game go to the Cardinals. I could easily see them losing that one. The Patriots, who have put together really good game plans against Jared Goff. I would not feel great about Jared Goff going up against that Patriots defense. And then down the stretch, the final two games of the year are at the Seahawks and against the Cardinals. I think hard. the Rams are the team that falls out of this playoff conversation, and you get one of the Vikings, Panthers, or Falcons that come up and take yeah, their spot.
4: Looking at that, I mean, certainly that could change a lot if they beat the Cardinals twice in those two games, if they go 2-2 two and two with that, or 2-0, and oh, rather, against the Cardinals, could very well be the difference maker. Um, but, yeah... Sorry, T-Bone. I think they're in rough right now. Come on,
2: guys. They're going to make the playoffs. Although the problem is, is we literally just saw the game plan to beat the Rams. It's just a zero blitz on golf, and it's over. I think the Vikings get in. Uh, That's the team, in my opinion. Cousins, to me, is just... A terrible, overrated quarterback that didn't deserve the contract he got. That's why I'm not putting them in. I
4: think the Panthers have a better chance than the Vikings. The Vikings have two more against the Bears. They've Did got you the Teddy Cowboys. Yesterday? Like I might. was floating for first downs, baby. No, I didn't like it.
0: He's Jamie Rivers. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Speaking of that game, Jamie, speaking of the Panthers versus the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes is officially back atop the MVP race. And Jamie has a question about the Mahomes Andy Reid marriage that we're going to dive into. Coming up next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're back to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.
0: With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie six five seven eight zero the Air Comfort Service text line from the three one four. BK, I know it's your birthday, but get out of town with all these garbage takes. <laughs> no. Really? You should get out of town. I know a guy. Just let me know when you're ready to go. (laughs) It's not nice. Just give it a second until you hear this upcoming take. So Patrick Mahomes is on pace right now to be the next MVP. I think we can all agree with that. As of this weekend, for my money, at least, I think he is now the favorite. Russell Wilson's had a tremendous season. He deserves all of the credit in the world. Same thing is true for Aaron Rodgers. There are many Deserving candidates for MVP this season for my money, at least I would have Patrick Mahomes at the top of that list. But Jamie yesterday, after that unbelievable performance by him carrying the Chiefs, who did not play particularly well outside of Mahomes, Kelsey and Tyreek yesterday, you asked me a question. So what is it about this Patrick Mahomes marriage with Andy Reid that is working so well? What did you see yesterday? What did you want to hone in on this?
4: So my exact text to you after watching some of the plays and really the last couple of weeks, specifically watching the play designs, how Andy Reid and the team designs plays. And so my question to you last night was, is it Patrick Mahomes ability that makes them great? Is it Andy Reid's incredible play designs? Does Mahomes' ability push Andy Reid to design more complex plays? Or do Andy Reid's plays pull out the greatness in Mahomes? And I know that's a lot of questions regarding a relationship between a coach and a quarterback. But I I sit there and I watch and I go, okay, so would Andy Reid be this mega mind play calling guy if he didn't have Patrick Mahomes? The answer is no, he wouldn't be. Because who else would be behind center, right? He wouldn't be able to do some of these things we're seeing. That's because he has Patrick Mahomes. Now, would Patrick Mahomes be the quarterback that he is without some of those play designs? He'd be great, and he'd work on any team. But I think that Andy Reid's ability to expand the playbook and to get into some of these areas that are difficult. And the play design, where we're seeing some wacky stuff this year, I don't think he can do that without Patrick Mahomes.
0: Andy Reid brings out the best in Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes brings out the best in Andy Reid. We saw Andy Reid put up a career year for Alex Smith in 2017. If you remember, that was the year that the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. And that season, Alex Smith followed it up by throwing for 4,000 yards, throwing 26 touchdowns and five interceptions. A lot of people are talking about right now how great of a year we are seeing in the right from Derek Carr. Derek Carr's numbers this year are basically Alex Smith from 2017. That's the uh, comparison between the two, right? Patrick Mahomes is lapping the field with those numbers. 26 touchdowns is laughable compared to what Patrick Mahomes is on pace for. He's on pace for like 45 this year. He's on pace to throw two interceptions. And this, Jamie, is where the marriage really becomes so fundamentally important from what we're seeing from Patrick Mahomes. The big knock, the big question about Mahomes coming into the league is, are you going to be able to to kind of reel him in, in a little bit? Because he's a wild Bronco out there. Mm-hmm. This dude plays the way that you talk about Kyler Murray. It's backyard football. That's what he did at Texas Tech. He was just, it was sandlot all day. Let's see how far we can throw it. Let's see how many times we can throw 50-plus yards in the air, and who cares if we throw a pick? We'll get him on the next one, right? Well, what's really impressed me about Patrick Malms' development in his career, yesterday, officially, Patrick Mahomes passed Aaron Rodgers for the lowest interception percentage of any NFL quarterback in the history of the league. Now, what that means is that in terms of the percentage of attempts that Patrick Mahomes throws, he has the lowest percentage of interceptions of any quarterback ever. Just 1% of his passes are intercepted. He has 10 career interceptions and 100 career touchdown passes. (laughs) That's Andy Reid. Andy Reid brings out the best in Patrick Mahomes because he, his offense, and his coaching limits the turnover-worthy throws. Where Patrick Mahomes brings out the best in Andy Reid is Mahomes is willing to go deep. The big knock on Andy Reid's offenses for years was it's all horizontal. Everything's within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. That's not the way Mahomes plays. He's going to give you those deep shots. Now, it might be only three, four, five times a game, but he's going to make them count. And we see those almost every week where there's one big play, whether it be to Kelsey or Tyreek or McColl Hardman getting involved, or sometimes it's a running back going on a flare route. whatever it is, it's going to get those big shots. And so to your question, who is it? Is it Patrick Mahomes bringing out the best in Andy or Andy bringing out the best in Mahomes? Does Mahomes make this possible? It's all of that. Mm-hmm. It's all of that. And this is why yesterday I texted you back and I said, I actually think this marriage is better they bring Uh-oh, out the best of each we go other. To crazyville. A, that's the wrong way to put it. It is not better than Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, but it is, it is more impactful on each other between Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes as opposed to Belichick and Brady because Belichick isn't the guy who was coaching Brady one for one. He's a defensive guy. Mm hmm. Andy is the offensive coach. He's the offensive guru. He is working one-on-one every day with Patrick Mahomes. When the defense is on the field, do you know where Andy Reid is? Sitting on the bench. He's sitting next to Patrick Mahomes on the bench. You would never, never in a million years see Bill Belichick do that with Tom Brady. So you're seeing the best in Mahomes because Andy is hand-in-hand with him at all times. This is the perfect marriage, the best possible marriage, and we are so lucky as a football watching community to be able to see these two together, and it's why I want to see Deshaun Watson get his version of this, whoever that guy is that you think is the best offensive guru. I want to see Dak Prescott with the really good offensive coach. I want to see Carson Wentz and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. I want to see all of these guys get their versions of Andy Reid, but right now We've got the best quarterback in the league with the best offensive line, uh, offensive mind of the last 20 years, and they're putting up unbelievable results because they're with one another.
2: And I want to see Sean McVay with the perfect quarterback. So add a coach in there that needs a quarterback compared to a quarterback that needs a coach. Uh, you know, I, you brought up the idea of with Kansas City but before with Smith. There, there, or Reed, there was a big knack on the game not being vertical. Part of that was Smith didn't want to go vertical. I remember them running a lot of motion with Smith still, like they do now. And Smith would just hit the guy that was in motion. He was not willing to go deep. And I don't really remember much of uh, Reed's time in Philadelphia, but I think it was kind of the same with Donovan McNabb as well. I I think think it was Andy, though.
4: Yeah, I think Andy Reed was the one there. And I think Andy Reed, and to your point with all these other quarterbacks, I think Andy Reed knew their limits as well and therefore didn't push the envelope. This, to me, is a perfect play by the Chiefs. They identified a great player. They drafted him knowing that stylistically he would work well with Andy Reid. And then it's Andy Reid developing a trust with that player so they both trust each other 100%. And that is what's cultivating this.
0: Andy allows Mahomes to freelance enough that Mahomes can make those big plays that you're talking about, Tanner. Alex was unwilling to do that. It wasn't that he was unable to. He we saw him in his final year. He started taking a few more chances outside of the design of the offense. And most of the, a lot of those big plays are coming outside of the design of the offense. They're the scramble drills where suddenly you've got Tyreek Hill breaking free down the sideline. That's the difference here: is Mahomes is willing and able to make those plays. Andy Reid's going to design him all kinds of stuff that's going to get him consistently seven, eight, nine, ten yards. He's going to get that all day long by uh, Tyreek Hill on a designed route across the middle, or Travis Kelsey on that option route that we see all day long. Yesterday, that stuff's going to be there through the design of the offense, and that's really, really important. The vast majority of plays are built that way, but there is going to be a few every game, five, six, seven every game, especially against the best defenses where you need a quarterback to be able to have that freedom to make the plays whenever everything else breaks down. And Mahomes is able and willing to do that. And i love to see more guys like Watson has the ability and the willingness to do that. He needs more of the structure. He needs somebody that can get those receivers open right off of the line of scrimmage. We need to see that from uh, Cincinnati. I want to see their offense have the ability to get guys open quicker so Joe Burrow is able to get the best of his potential that's what's so great about this marriage between these two is you got Andy Reed who builds things up to where the the early downs, the the quick throws are all there. And you got Patrick Mahomes who the big time plays they're coming because of him. It's it's so much fun to watch. And I hope we get more of this from other quarterbacks around the league with Jamie rivers and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley cross things over with Chris Ronji in the fast lane coming up next.
1: We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on one Oh one ESPN. Time now for The Crossover, brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work, for quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs.
0: With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon. Kylie crossing things over with the Fastlane. Chris Ranji is back. He is in studio. Ranji, how you doing today, man? Oh my God, do I feel
6: good? Did you Did you see yesterday? Now what? I mean, what an effort! What an <laughs> the Chiefs effort! Did, they did
0: find a way to pull it out. That's what I'm out, talking Ron. about. Those Kansas City Chiefs. The 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 Buccaneers lost.
6: Oh in a tough my God! Run. Oh, Can you, what a so nice. Assuming
0: you though are talking about the really really anemic performance by the Chicago Bears. God,
6: they're trash. They they're, are just absolute, terrible. Total hot garbage it's really really bad i was so when they were 5 and 2 they went to 5 and 2 i said there's a very good chance this team gets to december and they're 6 and 5 i think that might be generous they might they might be <laughs> they might be I'm 5 and kidding. 6 they might be 5 <laughs> and 6 can you imagine starting 5 and 2 and having a really really good chance not even it's not an outside chance it's a good chance to
0: be five and six do you think the rams or the bears make the playoffs one of those two teams because the other options probably for that last spot are going to be the vikings the falcons and the panthers do you think any of those three teams can overtake the the bears and the rams for that last spot in the nfc
6: uh well i think the i think the rams will go the the one of all the teams that are going to be left out it's going to be the bears they're just they have nothing on offense would you be surprised if they finish in the cellar in the nfc north I think they're more like third place. Um, hopefully. Damn, that sucks. What are they better than the Lions? <laughs> you, you imagine starting 5-1 and one and that's the conversation we're having? That oh. They might be third or fourth in the division. Get, But honest. is it really on, surprising,
4: Noronj? Like, I'm not being I mean, a jerk right now. You, you had Trubisky and you had Nick Foles and Tricky Nicky. Look, you can't be catching magic all the time. The truth be told, they're going to struggle. So I don't know... I think it was more surprising that they got off to such a great start, but maybe not surprising as to where they're going
6: right now. Yeah, well, uh, their offensive line is terrible, and they had four missing. You, know, you got four missing starters from your line yesterday, so it's not going to get a whole lot better, obviously. <laughs> so I, I was texting with our guy Austin Huff, who's a big Titans fan, mm-hmm. and he texted me before the game and said, "You know, may the best team win or whatever." And then uh, <laughs> as the as the well, they did, yeah. And as the game was going on. I texted him and I said, this man won a Super Bowl. I just don't know if you remembered that or not. (laughs) This man won a Super Bowl. And he was was the reason why they won the Super Bowl. I know, right? (laughs) Wow. Anyway, whatever. I I, I know what's going to happen. I'm resigned to it.
0: Quick question for you on the Cardinals before we get out of here. And I can't wait to listen to the Fastlane today from 2 to 6. We asked earlier today for our audience. We went back to the Francisco Lindor well. If the Cardinals got a call from the Indians and the Indians said, hey, we will trade you Francisco Lindor straight up for Paul DeYoung, I'm not asking would you accept that deal? Because I think everybody in this room would almost certainly accept that deal because Francisco Lindor is awesome. Do you think that the Cardinals would accept a deal of Francisco Lindor straight up for Paul DeYoung, who they have under club control for four years and
6: $46 million? No, no, because they got the control. I think it's all about the control. Tit. Sorry. It. I'm going to do it again. Going to bang my Are head off. <laughs> <laughs> That's It's very loud. Jamie's mad? Sorry. I'm I, I'm not them. I, it's not my call, man. I'm just I, telling you what they I'm would do. I'm not mad at you, Ronge. They I'm like the you. cost control and they know Lindor would be an an expensive player after that and they wouldn't hang on to him. They're about the the assets and the control so that there's your answer.
0: I'm with you. I totally agree. I, I I can't believe that that is the case, oh, but I think it's right. We're, puke. we're th- saying thanks to St. Louis area education employees with Hubbard Radio's Deserving Deliveries. Today is the first of several. This upcoming Friday is going to be the second of several Deserving Deliveries put, put together by 101 ESPN, Hubbard Radio, St. Louis, and Scott Credit Union. Where is our next Deserving Delivery headed? Well, you can nominate your favorite school staff now at 101ESPN.com. A huge thanks to all area educators and staff working hard through these extraordinary times. For Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex Ferrario will be back tomorrow. The Fast Lane's coming up next on 101 ESPN.
1: You have been
2: listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.